At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 330, Wheel Bearings. Nicole's back. Robbie's back. We got the Volvo C40 Recharge, the Honda Accord Hybrid, the Alfa Romeo Tenali Plug-in Hybrid, snow tires versus snow socks, more problems with the Blazer EV, Tesla's recall is not quite fixing what it's supposed to, uh, they're also having problems making batteries for the Cybertruck, Bird goes belly up, Hyperloop One is also done, all that and more coming up next. <laughs> This is episode 330 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeley from the Road Reflective Podcast. Yay! Welcome back. I'm back. Yay, Nicole's back. <laughs> and I am uh, Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. We're all and here. Good to have you back too, Robbie. We got the band back together. It's like who got back together in the 80s. Yeah. Except, well, I mean, most most of the band got together. You know, most I mean, of them. Yeah. You know, they, they did have a drummer that blew himself up or something like that. That that happens, unfortunately. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you, did you know that they're doing a Spinal Tap 2? Yeah, oh, I'm excited. Yeah. It's such a goofy movie. It's like everything about it feels like you shouldn't, like, it's. it feels like, oh, this is going to be dumb. This feels dumb. And then you watch it, you're like, <laughs> brilliant. And you laugh anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You laugh anyway. And if you're you're a fan of music, you laugh. If you're in a band, then you're like, oh, my gosh. And then apparently touring, like, big, big bands, they're like, oh, my God, there's too many things that are real. It's like V. Yeah. Like everyone, like they make all these political shows and then most political people are like, most politics is like Veep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is accurate. <laughs> this is the most accurate of all the things. Just the, 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 Sadly. The, the, and, and, and given, you know, given that the, the Rolling Stones are still touring and, you know, Keith Richards turned 80 last week. He's you know, 80? Uh, How do you tour at 80? He works out all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he looks but, super. You know, I, I, I can, I can. It, it makes perfect sense, you know, to do a sequel to Spinal Tap, you know, with Michael McKean and Christopher Guest and and Harry Shearer, you know, because they're they're pretty close to that age, if not above that age. So Eddie Vedder turns fifty nine. Oh my gosh! Wow. So there you go, Gen X. We're all. I, I understand Stop my it, my Robbie. my aging. I understand how old I am, but it's hard for me to like twist, like figure out. I'm like, oh my god! I went and saw the, the Breeders, and they're in their sixties. Yeah, the other people <laughs> like, your age are not allowed. Like to musicians, age with you. I, like musicians aren't allowed to age. Like I am allowed to age, but musicians of like of you know my generation aren't allowed to age. Yeah. And I go and see them, and I'm like, oh my god, we should go and get like an early bird dinner later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, <laughs> the first big concert I went to was seeing the kinks in 1980 at maple leaf gardens in toronto 
with in excess wow. opening up. Oh my god, that's a great yeah. show! When, when they right after they had released their very first album. My very first concert was U2 The Unforgettable Fire. What? That's another great concert. I think mine was like Stevie B. He was this R&B singer in like the 80s or 90s. And I only saw him because I was an FFA and we would we, we lived attached to me in Bakersfield was the Kern County Fair and they needed a skeleton crew, which were kids who just stayed at the fair all week and slept in like trailers. And I was yeah. one of the skeleton crew. And at the fair, that's who the band was that was playing with Stevie B. Well, I'm the guy who's in a bunch of punk, been a bunch of punk bands, but my first <laughs> concert with Stevie B. That's funny. All right, um, Nicole. Yeah. What have you been driving? Okay. Well, I I only just got this car, and it, there's a little story. There's a story. I think I shared part of the story with Sam. I have the car again today, Sam. Oh, it's back. Um, it's back. So Wait, I have. Yeah, that Robbie, I didn't share it with you. I just didn't share it with you, Robbie. Oh, I li- um, I'm excited. Yeah, so super exciting. Um, so I have a car that I actually really, really like. I have the 2023 Honda Accord Hybrid, which I took on a road trip back in the summer to. Is that when you went to Accord, New York, or somewhere? It's not Accord, New York. Oh, it's yeah. Accord, New York. Oh, okay. But it's called like Accord. You can call it Accord, though. Pronunciation's important. It's like literally the thing. It's like Accord, not Accord, although they're really excited about the Honda Accord. It's kind of of like the the French-named streets in Detroit, you know, De Quinder and uh. (laughs) – Exactly. These things that like – we know how it's supposed to say it. We're not going to say it that way. So, yeah, so I had done a road trip in this, and I actually really enjoyed it. I had like – it was a lot – you know, hours behind the wheel of this, and then give it to me again right now, which is always great to just have it at home for a little bit. And – I had the 2023 Honda Accord Hybrid Sport for uh, three days, and it was fantabulous. And then I walked out to it, and it wouldn't start. And it was showing me every electronic error that one could possibly conceive of, which I learned because I didn't know that the battery alone can make it kick all these crazy errors because all those systems don't have enough The the 12-volt battery or the the hybrid battery? Um, No, the regular – not the hybrid battery. Okay, the 12-volt, a little voltage battery. Yes. So it was, so it was caught. So I had all these errors and like, yeah, just jump started. I'm like, yeah, let's have this checked. <laughs> I don't want to be driving a dead car somewhere. So I actually had it towed to a car dealership that was all of like, it's like practically walking distance from my house. And that was on Friday night before the holidays. So they checked it this morning and they said, yeah, hey, so you needed a new battery. So we put a new battery in your car and it was covered under warranty. And I'm like, that's great because I'm not paying for it anyway. Um, yeah. So they got it all taken care of. Um, did a couple of recalls on it while it was out there. There were some outstanding recall things to check that they checked. Nice. Um, it was, so giving you a car is like a one-way ticket to maintenance. Apparently. <laughs> oh, this car needs a lot of work done. Give it to Nicole. I know. What the heck? And then while I had it, it just was because we have two-week loans. It was due for its like 10,000-mile maintenance. So I had a maintenance light on. They did that while it was there. I'm like, hey, I got it back and it's working perfectly. So I had it back today. I was kind of excited to have it because I really do like this car. And I was like, man, I wanted. To, I was looking forward to having this for a couple of weeks. So my little Honda Accord Hybrid Sport had a little hiccup, but now it's fine. It's back to happy Honda days. So all is right. Happy Honda but days. Happy Honda days have returned. So it's. I, I feel like I have to report that there was an issue, but very easily rectified issue. So this uh, car, the one I have, it is $33,445, gentlemen, destination. $9.99. Sam? I'm going to go with $1. Oh, uh-huh. you should have I think, I think it's $9.95, but... 
No, it's actually ten ninety five. Oh, <sighs> yeah. So Robbie, you win. You win. Yay! Yay. I'm a winner. You're a winner. Happy so, Honda Days, everybody. Happy Honda Days, everybody. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just gonna say that a hundred times during this episode. Every, everybody uh, gets a Honda Accord hybrid under their seat. Exactly. Happy Honda Days. Everybody VTech is the reason for the season. <laughs> <laughs> We're just an ad for Honda right now. That's all we are. That's fine. Uh, so I so I drove this a long time, had it for a little bit this week, and then had it back again today. Um, and I really enjoy driving this. I mean, I think this is a good car. Thirty three thousand four four forty five. It. I want to say this board is not. It's not base trim. So it's, so you can get this cheaper than this if you want. Um, there is a gas, just straight up gas engine available in the core, but I want. I think it's just like the base trims, like the base couple of trims that you can get it. So it's like they're Honda's pushing towards having more hybrid. Than they are gas. They were really hoping they would skew more and more hybrid with this, so they have more trims available as a when, hybrid. When I talked to one of the Honda people at the LA Auto Show, yeah, he was telling me that I think on the on the Accord and the CRV now, they're at about fifty percent penetration of hybrids. So yeah. wow, not half of Accord and CRV sales are hybrids now. So and that was at the LA. So yeah, so that 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 tracks with what they were trying to accomplish with this one so and it gets now i haven't had it long enough to really get fuel economy on it because i had it and they reset everything and now i don't know um but it was <laughs> secret like, in the last five minutes no um but the epa ratings are really good it's 46 city 41 highway 44 combined that's decent fuel economy for that's a, nice a good set. yeah and the accord is not a tiny sedan it's not gigantic but it easily, I mean, for you could sit three adults in the back. Three would be a little snug shoulder room wise, but two easily. And even with, I pushed the seats pretty far back just to kind of see. And still, I could sit behind the front seat even when it was pushed pretty much all the way back. So, unless you had two Robbies, one in front of the other, you're going to be okay. Double um, Robbies. Double Robbies. As long as you have it's one short person and one normal sized person. <laughs> a group of Robbies is known as a nightmare. A nightmare. As long as you don't have a nightmare, you're okay. <laughs> So I enjoy driving this. I think it's a nice, comfortable drive. It has plenty of power. Um, it has no trouble getting up to highway speeds. What do we have inside of here? We have a two-liter two four-cylinder with a CVT. The CVT is nice. It, it's it's a not a loud CVT. It, sh, it, it does a good job delivering power. You never feel like you're getting on the highway and suddenly, you know, whoever's behind you is going to be right up on your rear end. Um, and it's just a nice, comfortable car. I like the seats in this, too. And, I, you know, I thought that when I got back into it today. So the thing is, that meant that over the couple of holidays we had here, because we're recording this on Tuesday, so it's right after Christmas that we're recording this, because they had it over the holiday, I drove my own car. You know what's really funny? If you've been driving really brand new cars all the time, and then you have to take your 2010 Dodge Charger everywhere for the holiday, you're suddenly keenly aware of how much more comfortable modern cars are than your <laughs> 2010 Dodge Charger. Well, it wasn't even, it, and it's not an insult on my Charger. I love my little Charger, but it's like, man, I got into this one. Like, this is so much more comfortable. Like, it's such a comfy car. It is really a great vehicle and so quiet and so smooth. So in terms of, like, sedans, if you're going to be doing a lot of driving, this is a great little sedan. I like this. Like I would buy it. And here's the funniest part. You can tell the story because it was hilarious. So the guy that I called, I ended up calling AAA to come uh, haul a car over to the dealership. And the guy's like, oh, I have an older Accord. I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, I love the Accord. This is like a 2013 or something. He's like, oh, and it's been great. And it's got like 100 and 
What did he tell me? Like 185, 195,000 miles on it? I mean, it's not a low mileage car. He has, doesn't really have any problems with it. It's been great, but he sits down. Yeah, but that's just breaking in the engine on a car. It's just breaking yeah. it in, right? That's what he said. He's like, I'll have it until I'm, when he sat down. He's like, okay, so come here. And I'm like thinking he's found something horrible when he sat down. He's like, and you know, there's a picture on the instrument cluster of the taillights of the rear end of the Honda Accord. It shows there. Mm -hmm. And when you put your turn signal on, it blinks a little turn signal on the picture. And when you hit the brakes, it hits the little brakes of the picture. He's like, that's really clever. He's like, now I want to know, here's your engineering question. If my brake, if my light goes out, does my light not work on the picture? I believe that is the case. It is the case. Okay, because I couldn't answer that question. Uh, next next time I have it. one, I will have to unplug one of the just light pull a light. And, right? Yeah. Pull a light. And I was so funny. I'm like, well, just, just get Russ to do it tomorrow for you. I said, well, I said, yeah. just bash a taillight. They'll never know. Honda will never notice. He's like, okay. He also loved the wheels on this because it has really dark, like it's a black finish. I should look and see. I don't know that it says. Do you have the Sport here. L exactly. or the Sport Hybrid? I had the Sport, the Hybrid Sport. So it's not the Sport L, but it had these really nice, sort of like a, almost kind of like a matte black kind of wheels that it has. So the wheels look fantastic, um, which I agree with him, but I showed him because he doesn't like the wheels that are on his. And I said, the problem when you have these really pretty matte black wheels is if you curb clip even the tiniest bit, uh, you're someone has done it. Very one, noticeable. You don't, it's not like a scratch. It's like, it doesn't matter. It could yeah. be the lightest scratch in the planet and everyone's going to see it. So if you get the really pretty, pretty wheels, just don't hit the curb. Just um, never hit the curb. Never drive. You, he was looking at the wheels. He's like a little thing. He's like, this is way more comfortable. And again, his is a 13. This is great. He's like, I kind of think I might need to upgrade now. So Honda may have sold a Honda Accord Sport Hybrid <laughs> because this one had a bad battery. <laughs> but he thought it was really cool. So it was kind of fun to see someone else's reaction to, to the car uh, and to be chatting with this tow truck driver. But And it was just... I think the thing that strikes me is it's just comfortable and you want a sedan to be comfortable and you're not buying it like this, the hybrid, of course you want that good fuel economy. You're not buying it to win races. You're not buying it to be showy. You're not buying it because you want to impress anyone. You're buying it because you want a reliable, smooth, comfortable, efficient car. And it checks all of those boxes. So I really you got that. places to be. That's why you're you buying places it. Places to be, and you want to. You don't want to have to worry about it, except for that one time in Nicole's driveway breaking down. And um, <laughs> yeah, so I so high marks for the Accord Hybrid. I really enjoyed this. I was excited when I found out I was going to have this for the long two week Christmas loan because this is a car that I genuinely like. And the isn't the Accord is one of our finalists. Is it one of our finalists? It is oh, one of the finalists for That's what I thought. Yeah. Yes. It's our finalists which we will we be got... announcing January 4th. Dun dun dun. For the, uh, for the cars, it's the Accord, the Accord. Ionic 6, Hyundai mm -hmm. Ionic 6 and Is it What's the third one? Oh jeez, Louise, that's terrible. I should know this. Oh, the Mustang. Was it the Mustang? Yeah. No. Was yeah. it? Oh my god, yeah. I don't know. I didn't think it was a Mustang. I'm part of another thing, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, Nicole's on all the juries. I, Robbie and I are I just know. on one each. It's just, yeah. it's just a morph of all the ju juries all is one, wait a minute. What was our finalist? It was? Now, and I know they just changed one because we... Oh, no, going. sorry. It's the Prius. Uh, yes, Prius there Prime. we go. I'm like, it's not Mustang. Prius. <clears throat> yeah. So those were our yeah, finalists. So Mustang was a, was a semi-finalist. So, yes. yeah. So the uh, the finalists for North American Car of the Year are the Honda Accord, Hyundai Ionic 6, and the Toyota Prius and Prius Prime. For Truck of the Year, it's the Chevy Colorado, the Chevy Silverado EV, and the Ford Super Duty. And then for Utility Vehicle of the Year, it is the Hyundai or the Genesis Electrified GV70, 
the Kia EV9, and Volvo withdrew the Volvo EX30 because yeah. they said it's not going to be available until late spring. Uh, and so rather, you know, if it, if it had been available earlier, they would have left it in. But since it's going to be coming in so late, um, they withdrew it. And they put in the the car that got the fourth number, fourth highest number of votes, which is the Hyundai Kona. Yes. Um, so the so Kona is shifting. A, a Hyundai Motor Group vehicle will absolutely be the 2024 North American Utility Vehicle exactly. of the Year. It's just a matter of which one of the Hyundai <coughs> Motor Group vehicles it's going to be. So. They love they love those things too. Yeah. They just build cars that win awards, and then of course you know that helps people because an award-winning car is usually built really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh yeah, there. It's a good one. A bunch of people said it was good. Yeah, so those are so yeah, so we could have the uh, we could have the accord being, uh, and I, we get to announce. That. Are you going to come? Are you going to be at the awards, Sam? I will be there absolutely. I will be there. It's I get to go on me, stage so. and try not to say anything wrong or trip up the steps. It's the most <laughs> oh, you'll be, stressful you'll be part of my entire <laughs> job as a member of the you board could, for Actoy. Have you tried rapping? <laughs> have I tried rapping? No, that's not going <laughs> to. That is not going to happen. So. <laughs> Yes. All right. So there you go. There's the Honda Accord Sport Hybrid and a rundown of what Nectoy Awards are happening in another week. <laughs> um, anything else on the Accord? Any no, other thoughts? That's, that's that's it. Those are my big thoughts. <clears throat> okay. Well, I also had a hybrid. Um, I had the Alfa Romeo Tenali Ti E All Wheel Drive. Um, so um, you know, back in the mm. summer, sometime in the summer, I had the Dodge Hornet, mm-hmm. which. Um, uh, was announced summer of 2022, and uh, basically was a Tenali with the uh, with a, a Dodge Durango looking grill front fascia on it. Um, and when the when the Hornet came out earlier this spring, the the original plan for the Tenali when they announced it last year was that it was supposed to be available both uh, as a two liter four cylinder turbo or as a plug in hybrid, and after they decided to make the Hornet, they decided, yeah, we're, we're going to drop the, the base model of the Tenali um, so that you know, it's kind of a step up from the Hornet. And so the Hornet, right, at least at launch, was available only with that two-liter turbo. And at some point, I think they're going to get the plug-in hybrid. But um, the, uh, the Tenali is uh, plug-in hybrid only. And this is it's – it's a – same same type of plug-in hybrid system that they use on a couple of Jeep models in Europe, on the Compass and on the uh, Renegade in Europe. Uh, so it's similar to what Volvo does with their plug-in hybrids, where rather than like Toyota and Ford and others, they um, integrate the electric motor into the transmission on the front axle. Uh, Alfa Romeo and uh, Stellantis you know, as a whole uh, and Volvo – they do what's called a through-the-road hybrid. So the electric motor is on the rear axle. So when you're an ele- electric drive is coming from its rear-wheel drive when it's just in pure electric mode, and then the front wheels are driven by the engine. And so on the Tenali, it's got a 1.3-liter 1.3 four-cylinder turbo on driving the front wheels and 121-horsepower electric motor on the rear axle for a total of 285 horsepower, which is... Pretty good amount of power for you know smaller crossover like this. Um, the uh, EPA rates the electric driving range of the Tenali at 33 miles, and um, in hybrid mode, uh, 
that claims uh, 77 MPGE um, at, or with combined using that electric driving range plus hybrid mode, you get 77 MPGE in typical driving. <clears throat> and then when you're just in pure hybrid mode, it's supposed to be tw about 29 miles per gallon. Um, I went and did took this thing on my usual drive loop that I do when I'm testing uh, electric range, for especially for plug-in hybrids. I got 36 miles of electric nice. range out of this thing. Ooh. And that's, you know, without you know, without hyper, hyper miling it or anything, I wasn't, you know, lead footing it. I was just kind of mm -hmm. driving normally. Just doing your drive. Yeah. Doing a regular yeah. Sam drive. And, and that, you know, that 121 horsepower on the rear axle doesn't seem like a lot, but it's plenty. Um, you know, it it's because, and then, and, and Alfa Romeo doesn't list what the torque of the electric motor alone is. Uh, the combined torque with the motor and the engine is 347 foot-pounds. Um, so, you know, uh, it, I'm guessing it's somewhere above 200 foot-pounds of torque from that little electric motor, which works really well. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice combination. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, 36 miles of electric range on a charge. Can't complain about that. Uh, and then you know when you when you do put your foot down, uh, even when it's in uh, you know electric mode, you know if you if you floor it, it will turn on the engine, you know, and give you the full 285 horsepower. Uh, the battery is a 15 and a half kilowatt hour battery. It takes a couple hours to charge on a, um, on a on a level two charger at home on a 240 volt charger, uh, but probably about two and a half hours. Charges is about seven and a half kilowatts. <coughs> um, the size of this uh, of the Tenali, I think, is a nice size for a crossover. It's not too big, not too small. You know, it's got reasonable amount of backseat room for a couple of adults. It's not, you know, it's not huge, but you know, for anybody up to you know probably six one, maybe six two, uh, you'll be able to fit in there reasonably comfortably. Uh, and uh, you know, you probably don't want to put three people in the back unless they're you know very friendly or, or very slim. Uh, you know, or kids, you, know, you can put three kids in the back, but for adults, you know, two, two is a good size in there. Uh, typical, um, you know, Alfa, what we've come to be familiar with on Alfa Romeos since the Julia came out back in what, five, six years ago now, mm -hmm. uh, with the, the start stop button is on the steering wheel in the lower left quadrant. So just below the left hand spoke is where you find the stop start stop start button and every time i get back into an alpha for the first time after not being in one for a while it's like i have to get reaccustomed to where it is because i always <laughs> want to reach with my right hand on the dashboard for the stop start button and of course on yeah. this one it's on, yeah i got to do it with my left hand or reach across with my right hand um and the the tenali has the um uconnect 5 infotainment system which you know shared with most other Stellantis vehicles in North America, um, it you know it works fine. Uh, it's an Android system, but without uh, Google Automotive Services, so it's TomTom Tom Navigation, uh, Amazon Alexa for voice, <clears throat> and then a few other things that they've mixed in there as well. Um, it it works fine. The the interface is good. It's it's smooth, fast, um, pretty robust. It's got wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. Um, I did find one weird anomaly uh, oh. in, in, in this one, which is 
uh, if I was using Android Auto wirelessly and I went and I put my phone, uh, which is a Google Pixel 8 Pro, on the wireless charging pad, which is below the center stack, normally, you know, in a lot of cars, most cars, you know, when you put your phone down on the, the charging pad, it'll pop up a little notification saying, you know, charging has started, wireless charging has started, no problem. Um, in the case of the Tenali, for some reason, um, it would pop that notification up about every three seconds. So oh. pop up. Oh, so it make a connection and losing, making and losing, oh, and making and losing. It, it seems that way, yeah. Oh. Um, so uh, that's I, annoying. Yeah. That's so uh, you know, I I, I notified <laughs> no. uh, I notified Nick over at uh, Stellantis because he's the PR guy for uh, for uh, Alpha Male and uh, told him what was going on. Sent him a little video clip and. He was going to share that with the engineering team. I haven't heard anything back yet because that was <laughs> just before the holidays. But um, uh, other than that, you know, everything else worked really well in here. You know, I thought the the ride quality, the the tuning of the suspension was actually a little better than in the Dodge. Uh, it, it felt a little smoother, um, you know, but also you know a little more, a um, little better controlled than in the uh, in the Hornet. Um, the like I said, the size is good. Can't complain about the the electric range. Uh, so you know, if, if you're if if you're looking for you know a premium, you know, and the materials and fit and finish and everything in this thing were great. If you're looking for you know premium compact crossover, uh, you know the the Tenali is definitely one that's worth taking a look at, especially because for now at least it's only available as a plug-in hybrid. So it's all-wheel drive plug-in hybrid. Um, if you, you know, definitely don't buy this, if you don't live somewhere where you can plug it in daily, you know, you, for that matter, don't buy any plug-in hybrid unless you have someplace <laughs> you can plug it in. Yeah. It's kind of like, then you're, you're wasting money. You're wasting yeah. battery. You're just you're dragging hauling, a battery around. Yeah. You're hauling <laughs> around 400 pounds of battery for no reason. Yeah. Um, but, uh, if you, you know, if you do have someplace to, to plug it in daily, then it's a great option. Um, the 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 TI the Sprint uh, which is the base trim level uh, starts at forty three thousand four eighty or forty three thousand eight forty five the TI that I had is forty six thousand five hundred and the Veloce is fifty one thousand forty dollars um, the let's see the as equipped um, the total sticker price on the one that I was driving came to forty nine thousand ninety dollars. Um, any guesses on destination? Ooh, uh, oh, it's still hmm, twelve hundred. I'm gonna go eleven hundred. <laughs> this is a Stellantis vehicle, and we know what Stellantis has been doing with destination charges. Yeah, fifteen ninety five. Oh, I must. Man, just that's even that. higher than I yeah. thought. I was like, oh man, she got eleven ninety five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sixteen hundred bucks for destination. Ooh. Um, My the, first car cost fifteen hundred dollars. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> a car or the destination fee on your Alpha. <laughs> that was a long time ago, though. So yeah. I guess you know. Um, the the only two options on this one were the uh, Alpha Rosso exterior paint, which is five hundred dollars. So it's a nice red, red, bright red, red. paint, uh, and the customer preferred package, uh, which has the uh, active advanced uh, act, active assist advanced package. Um, so that gets you uh, lane centering and um, adaptive cruise control, the uh, uh, auto dimming rear view mirror, ex exterior mirrors, um, 
the uh, surround view camera system, uh, par automatic park assist, uh, and then the uh, park sense. Uh, so that uh, that was two thousand bucks. So you know, for you know, around about fifty grand. You know, compared to you know other premium uh, crossovers. You know, I mean, competitors for this might be something like the um, Lincoln Corsair Grand Touring, which is also a plug-in hybrid. Um, there's there's no plug-in hybrid version of the Volvo XC40, is there? Isn't there an XC40 um, recharge? Is that a plug-in? Yeah, there, no, it's an EV. Okay. Yeah, there's the an EV. recharge the EV. Yeah, yeah, I think there is a plug-in of the. I don't think yeah. so. Um, there, but I think Audi. Uh, let's see, Audi's got a Q5. Um, plug-in hybrid, uh, which doesn't get nearly as much range as this, you know, so for, you know, and the, and the Lincoln was more expensive than this. Um, and frankly, I think, you know, this was more fun to drive. Uh, you know, it's quite, quite enjoyable to drive this thing. So, uh, you know, and I did try the, uh, the wireless charging pad with an iPhone, no problem. So it was just, weird. there was some weird oh, interaction hmm. with the, uh, with the Pixel 8, uh, that was, huh. uh, that was going on here. But other than that, um, you know, just like I say, you know, if you're looking for a plug-in hybrid premium compact crossover, um, this should definitely be on your shopping list. You know, part of what I like about I really like the car, too. I think it's a it's a decent little car. Um, and didn't you like drive a Tenali for the Mille Miglia? I did. I did. Yeah. I drove that for the, the Mille Miglia that they did the warm-up in um, Virginia. What was it? The end of October, beginning of November this year. Um, so I spent a good bit of time in it. Um, really enjoyed driving it. But part of what I like about it, and also Montreal Verde, the green color, is oh, the yes. color you should get. Because that color is just, yeah. nobody else is a green quite that. Like Mazda for red, Alpha for that green. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the, that's a the, fantastic the Alpha green. greens. Are... Oh, my God. It's so pretty. But, it, it, you know, the thing with Alpha, you don't see a lot of them, which is, so when you drive it, it's unique. Like, you get this very, it's, it's not as common as, you're not seeing it everywhere, even when you go to other sort of premium vehicles, there just aren't a heck of a lot of alphas on the road. So it's kind of nice to see something a little different. I think it stands out. And people are like, what the heck are you driving? So that's a nice little well, fun thing. Yeah, and, and you were mentioning, you know, the lights showing up, the brake lights and turn signals showing up in the mm -hmm. Accord instrument cluster. Mm -hmm. You know, on the alpha, when you start it up, you know, it shows you a pattern that is looks like the headlights and the grill, the, the, yes. the, the, the triangle grill. Yeah. Um, and then when you shut it off, you get, you know, it it flows through and gives you the tail lights from, yeah. from behind. Uh, so you know, it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice nice little detail. It's nice. Yeah. I and I, I think details kind of make it fun. Like you can buy a well, lot. Especially of when little... you're spending that kind of money on a car. Exactly, you're spending a little extra, so you yeah. want it to feel a little extra, and it gives you that little extra. Feels a little yeah. nice and nice. A little extra. So say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. So I said that I didn't drive anything and I forgot that I rented a car in, in, in Pittsburgh. <laughs> in the Berg? What'd you drive in, in the Berg? In the Berg. I drove the, the Volvo C40 Recharge. Oh. oh. Yeah, they had one in the rental dro- fleet? They had one in the rental fleet. So Was I showed from, up. From Hertz? Yep, from Hertz. And um, when I got there, it's like, oh, you get to go to the President's Club. And you can just pick any car that's over yeah. there. And so I wanted an EV because we have charging at SAE International at the headquarters. Mm-hmm. So I could just go and just charge my car at work. Um, and I'd already had a Model 3. So I was just like, all right, I don't want one of those again. And I was hoping I could get a Volvo or a Polestar or whatever else they have over there. It hurts. And they had the C40 Recharge. I drove this in Belgium. Oh, my God. It feels like 100 years ago um, when it first came out. I really liked it. It's really just the XC40 with a swoopy back. <laughs> it's literally just the XC40 with a swoopy back. And, and less, less rear visibility. Yeah, you can't, you can't see as, as much, but it's also just an XC40 with a swoopy That's back. exactly what it looks like. Uh, I'm looking at the profiles right now, the two of them next to each other. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, you know, like the, the XC40, like this. Like the XC40, this just has like ways. It has so much power. These the XC40 and the C40 have are have a surprising amount of get up and go. Like you, you're like, oh gosh, like it's that's that sort of that's that sort of situation where they have more power than they probably should, to be honest. Um, but no, I I liked it. It was really really cold. It was 30 degrees like the entire time I was there. So it really cut into the old. Uh, the old uh, what do you call it range, range. Um, but for the most part it was comfortable it was more comfortable than the model 3 that I drove from the Hertz uh, you know barn of cars and uh, it was just you know it's just a bit of a nicer experience and what, it has Google voice and all that jazz what what was the experience like renting an EV from Hertz uh, you know like was it's the, was pretty, the car charged it's, up and so so I got into the car and had 67 percent charge and you know you get in the car and it's just like pick a car and i'm like all right and you get in the car and then you go to the little booth as you're leaving and then they print out the thing and then you have to drive away so they printed out the thing and i drove away and i made i made i made a mental note they had charging stations like along all the parking spots mm-hmm. there but it just at wasn't office, charging at, your, at the or at, at the, the garage at the, yeah, at the Hertz location. So they had like in the in the garage, they had charging stations. None of the EVs were plugged in. I don't know why. <laughs> so at 67%, I'm like, all right, that's how much I have to bring it back. Um, and then I drove around and, you know, I did all my stuff and uh, I charged it at work. But it turns out we had a half day because I was there for a holiday party. So I didn't get to charge it all the way. So after work, you know, I just um, I went and got some dinner and then I was like, oh, I'll just go to the EA station. That was a failure um so then i went to another station i'm shocked there there was an ev go station about 12 miles away so i'm just driving around pennsylvania it was you know whatever it's nice i got a i got a i got a chai latte and had a nice little time just sitting there hanging out um but then i'm sitting there waiting for this vehicle to charge and it's you know it's charging like 70 
kilowatts or something. And I'm like, all right, good enough, whatever. Um, and I'm reading the thing. It's like you picked up this car at 100% charge and you have to replace, return it at 100% charge. And I'm like, that's impossible. That is physically impossible exactly. to return it at 100% charge because <laughs> the paperwork. So if you're if you're like thinking if you're like oh my god oh my god oh my god how much charge did I have or you're thinking you have to come back with with 100% charge because you don't know any better that's really confusing that's kind of terrifying to be honest that you have to bring it back which because it's 100 because it's impossible you can't. it's impossible well, there was like exists. one charging station yeah. like five miles from the from the uh, from you the can't. airport that you could go to but it, let's say I went there and I waited till it charged to 100 percent which you're is not just dumb and then you're like get there and you're like 98 because it's like 30 degrees outside I showed up 68 percent I felt really good <laughs> and, <laughs> so and what did they say did they say anything when you showed no, up there's no one there because I, I, I had a 6 a.m flight so I just did they left charge the car. you or anything because nope because I double checked. Russ, oh, they didn't. Okay, because Russ had rented, he got a Polestar once. I want to say it was Polestar from Hertz. Mm-hmm. And the first time he rented it was like, he was also got stuck by that, like, it's at a place where you could charge. And it's like, it was at like 52% charge. And he thought he would have 100% to get where he wanted to cause this big headache. He's like, I wasn't planning on stopping to charge the second I got in the car. So that was a surprise. But then also it said, like, he's like, oh, you have to bring it back 100%. And he's like, how? <laughs> like, <laughs> How? How would one do that? So he's like, I bring it back as close as I can. And he looked at it. There wasn't a charge. But I'm thinking, I, I know people who said they won't get one because they're like, well, I don't want to. I'm worried they are going to charge me something like what's the quote fill up. So I so I would just take a picture because like if you if I get a gas car and it's got three quarters of a tank, I have to repl- return it with three quarters of a three tank. Quarters that's, of a tank. That's, that's the rule. Right. Um, If I get an EV, I think it should be charged to 80 percent. That seems like a nice fair number, 80%. You can charge it to 90. It's going to take a little while, but it's not. It, you don't lose too much speed as you go from 80 to 90. And then you can show up at 80%. 70% I think is ideal, to be honest. Yeah, it's weird. You, a, I've heard this complaint, so I'm glad but to yeah, but the idea, like, for it. But yeah, but the idea, like, I'm like, nope. I took a picture of it, and there's no one there. You just leave the keys in the car right. and walk away. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I'm getting ready. I'm like, I was like cracking my knuckles. I'm like, I'm getting ready to fight with somebody. Fight, and man. on on Tuesday when I get back from from because I was flying to New York. When I get back from New York, I'm getting ready to fight. <laughs> He's all like wound up. I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Thank you, sir. Oh wait, thank you, sir. Okay, bye. <laughs> but it was crazy that it wasn't even plugged. Like all these EVs were sitting there, and then there was charging stations, and none of them were plugged in. I'm like. Mm-hmm. And, like, and this, is one of, this is one of the problems that you know rental companies like Hertz have with doing EVs, is you know especially like at their their high volume airport locations, there with gas vehicles, they typically turn those around in about twenty to thirty minutes. So when when you bring it back, it's usually that same car is usually rented out within half an hour. Again, gone gone with somebody else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so charging it turns out to be a real problem for them. Now, you know, at a lot of the Hertz locations, uh, you know, when they when they did their last earnings report, they talked about their their challenges with EVs. Um, you know, among which, you know, it turns out they bought all these EVs, and a lot of their locations didn't have chargers. But it yeah. sounds like you know, in yeah. Pittsburgh, they at least had chargers, but they weren't using. And it's a it's a small it's a small airport too. It's yeah, not it's a big. Not it's big yeah, it's not it's not a big airport, so they're yeah. not they don't have to turn them. So I, that's why I'm like still confused. I'm like, why are these things not but, being charged? But, but from 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 other <laughs> other uh, anecdotal LAX? I've heard, yeah, yeah, uh, other seconds. other reports I've heard, you know, at, at some locations, they're actually having to send staff, you know, send staff from their rental location out with these EVs 
to a local public charger and sit there and wait while they charge and then bring them back again, that which you know sense. that is not very cost effective for no. you know for a run. I feel like if you're if you're like EVgo or Electrify America, you should just be like, hey, I'm gonna put up a giant station next to all of the 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 EV or the, yeah, uh, I mean, they, the rental they, places, they, and then I'm gonna charge market rate. I'm not giving you a deal. Yeah. And they're all going to be there. Like, well, we got to charge. You just have to make sure they all work. They'll have to. They'll have to have like people on staff to make sure the machines work because you you know. It'll be in your job description, just like what do you do? I just charge the EVs for Hertz. That's all I do. And you know, we with with gas cars. You know, you go to a gas station, even if the gas station's a couple of miles away or you know five miles away. Yeah. You know, you you fill it up. You know, and it's still basically. You know, the gauge is still showing full. It's not – it doesn't give you that level of precision. It could be at like 95% and still yeah. show and completely full. full. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in an EV, you know, it's, it's showing you exactly you. what the state of charge is. You this know, is yeah. exactly your 107.34 kilowatt hours. Yeah. They, they, like you said, they need to have like a minimum, you know, like, you know, say 90% or 90% whatever, whatever they want it to be. You know, if yeah. they want it full, it should be, you know, more than 90%. You, you think know, about it too, depending on you where you're renting a car from. Yeah. Like if you really are rent, like if you're really kind of in the middle of nowhere, especially if you're not bringing it back to the same Hertz that you got it from, if you're doing a road, you don't know what you're going to run into for EV chargers when you get yeah. to the other Hertz location. You might not have one. Like you said, Robbie, you might have to drive a little bit from wherever you charge to the airport. How are you going to, like, that's impossible. That's you know? literally why I got the Model 3 the first time I went over there. Because I'm like, yeah. well, I know Tesla's charging infrastructure is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm exactly. gonna get this because I've never been to Pittsburgh. I know I want to, you know, I want it, you know, I'm the I'm the sustainability editor. It'd be nice if I showed up in an EV. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course Electrify America was, you know, right on par with it their was usual like it was like a quarter mile away. I could see it. I could see the electric from my hotel. <laughs> and it's like two machines are down. Nope, now three machines are down, but two of them are available, and I'm like all right, fine. So I went out, drove, and it turns out those two that weren't of it, the three machines were down, but two of them were in use and there was someone waiting. And I was oh, like, God. and I just pulled up the, like, like you know, uh, one of the charging the, the apps that shows you yeah. all the chargers. And I'm like, all right, there's one 10 miles away. I'll just go get a coffee. I'll, you know, I'll stop by Starbucks. It'll be a nice little trip. I like driving, so yeah. it's not that big oh, of a deal. But if you're like, I got things to do. Yeah. You could just go, you know, say, hey, Google, you know, find EV charging stations near me and it'll pull them up on the in Google Maps. Yeah, I could have done that, too. I, I always forget about that just because most cars are good at that still. Yeah. <laughs> Like my car, my Hyundai, my Hyundai Kona doesn't have anything fancy like that. Um, All right. Well, um, so what's the weather like uh, where the two of you are right now? It's Um, like like April. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. It's about the same here. It's currently 42 degrees uh, and really foggy and a little bit drizzly. So it's very unwinter where I am. It's it's 51 here in in Ypsilanti. It's 55 and cloudy and gusty winds with gusty a little bit of rain. Winds. Ooh, there's some other. We get a lot of gusty winds. And there, there were, there, I mean, I live next the to water. a golf course and there were people out playing golf yesterday. Were they really? Yeah. yeah. And today. Warm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, in some places they apparently still get snow. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Canada. The, no way. Uh, TFL posted a good video uh, uh, last uh, about a week and a half ago, um, where uh, Tommy Micah, Roman's son, did a comparison 
um, with uh, uh, comparing all-season tires, snow tires, um, snow chains, and snow socks. Have either of you ever tried snow socks? I've, I've never tried, tried I snow socks. Yeah, I've I only I've only put chains on one car in my entire life, even though I grew up where there was snow, yeah. because everyone in my town refused to put t- uh, chains on their cars. They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the whole town just was like, no. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen chains on a car. I've only ever... I've never put them on a car. I've never even driven a car with them because I've never been in a situation where I actually needed them. Yeah. I, I had it neither, going neither to Tahoe. Because Tahoe's like, it's windy roads. Like, Tahoe snow is like super dense and thick. So it's really slick. Uh, it's called Sierra Cement. <laughs> so they make you put chains on. If, oh. And I was in a friend's well, car. I, I know. And, and never again. Signs <laughs> as you drive up the mountain, you know, it says, you know, chains. snow chains from here up. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, turns out that in this test, the uh, snow socks actually turned out to be the 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 most effective, way more effective than the uh, than the chains or you know just snow tires. Really? Um, yeah. And so what these are basically, you know, it, they call it a sock. It, it, it's essentially kind of like a sock that you put on your your tires, um, and it wraps over. And you you take it out, you you wrap it over the top part, you know, like you know the three quarters of the tire, uh, and then you get in, you roll the car forward a foot, and then put the last bit of it on, uh, and it's made of this woven material that actually grabs the snow, and it turns out you know that um, when you actually have the snow snow on snow is when you actually get the best traction, right. um, and. You got by far the best performance in terms of both acceleration and braking no with the kidding. snow socks. You uh, know, it's funny when the snow sock. When I was in, I did rent a car while I was in Europe, and I was in Switzerland, and they had a whole bunch of these behind the counter, little packs of snow socks. Yeah, that you could rent, and that was like the first time I ever saw them. But I guess you know, I guess they kind of know in Switzerland what they're talking about, maybe. Well, I, I, I was so impressed by what I saw in the video that immediately after watching it, I went on Amazon. And ordered a pair of those and had them sent to my daughter who lives in in Denver. Has she uh, tried cool. it yet? Not not yet. Uh, but you know, like you know, in in, Den- in the city of Denver, they don't get as much snow. But you know, if she goes up to into the mountains, you know, to go skiing or snowboarding or something, or you know, do do something in the in the mountains, you know, she whatever the kids are doing these snow. days. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I sent them to her and said, here, you know, put the you know, just keep these in the back of your car because they don't take up a lot of space. You know, keep them in the back of your car because I know last year, uh, you know, she went somewhere um, and you know bar- had borrowed a friend's Subaru. She, she's yeah, she's now she traded in a couple months ago, traded in her Toyota 86 for uh, a new Mazda CX-30 with all-wheel drive. But you know, even with the, the Subaru last last winter, you know, she got stuck somewhere and called and was asking, you know, what's the best thing to do? And oh, because so she's so low to the ground. Yeah. So, yeah. well, that was with the Subaru, not not with the the. 86. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I figured probably good for her to have these snow socks. So, um, yeah, the, you know, you should I'll, I'll have we'll have the video in the in the um, uh, show notes. But you know, it's worth worth a look uh, to see how well these things perform. They're pretty impressive. Are they easier to put on than chains? Oh, way easier than chains. Chains are such a huge pain that, in that, the butt. That was and that was one of the things. You know, they were they were timing. Um, you know, how long it took to put on the chains versus putting on the snow socks. Oh, God. The chains took – to put snow chains on the two front tires, I think, took him something like 15 minutes. 
the snow socks took two and a half minutes. Yeah, the when you drive up to Tahoe to go snowboarding or skiing or any of that stuff, they have guys who just hang out alongside the road to help. And put you on just chains. pay them like 40, yeah. 50 bucks to put oh, your chains put on. on so yeah. yeah, they'll just put them on for you. Yeah. Yeah, so me and a friend, he, he's like, hey, let's go snowboarding. I'm like, all right, cool. And then I, he pulled up in his car, and I'm like, oh, no. And then we drove up, <laughs> and I was like, ah. Oh. I think my wife needed the car. That's why I wasn't driving my car, my Subaru. And um, we had to pull, get out and put chains on. So if like, you this have is to the have worst. Chains, do you have to have chains even at, like someplace where you have to have chains? You st- like if you have snow tires, you still if you have, have all chains. season, if you have all wheel drive and all seasons are better, you can you can you can continue up the hill. Okay, so if you had an okay, so all you need is all wheel drive in all seasons. You don't even yeah. need snow tires. So the snow yeah. would the snow sock work sub for these snow chains if you did? Oh yeah. yeah, I'm the sure they would. would and you get a red one, so it looks like your cars are. It? Like, I, I believe they would. Yeah, and, I'm sure they, they would. And the, the only thing to keep in mind uh, with either chains or snow socks is you're limited to 25 miles an hour. Yeah, you really you got to go. Oh, slow. so it's just slow speed driving, which I guess yeah. if you have chains. Yeah. You're I mean, if you're driving on the snow like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you if you're able to get beyond those speeds, you know, then you should take them off. Yeah. So, but I I, I did have someone in. I was in the Subaru, and someone had snuck up at the Subaru with like summers. <laughs> oh jeez! <laughs> and he couldn't pull out the spot because there's a tiny little incline and so he, he parked his blue his blue car looked just like mine it was the bug eye you know early 2000s wrx uh sport wagon next to mine and he could not pull out of his spot and he starts sliding into my car and i'm oh, just standing no. next to my car holding his car off <laughs> and I, I finally i was like do you want me to pull your car out and you know he's just frustrated and like dude you know he's got Take dude anger he's just like oh no, no, no. i'm like how about we can help you push that when i when i said that would you want me to help you do you want me to pull out for you he got really – you could tell I, like, bruised his ego, and I felt bad asking after I said it. I was like, we could, we can just push you out. We'll just and then we drove, trying to be I just, I just don't want you hitting my car. Yeah. Well, what you should have done was said, just wait here for a minute, hopped in your car, pulled your drove, car out. Yeah, now go. Yeah, so <laughs> now go, do, yeah. do what you want. Yeah, yeah the wheel's just spinning. I'm like, all-wheel drive doesn't help you when you got uh, – because it's just ice Summer, in the parking lots at a yeah. – yeah. Yeah. That's just my little been there, yeah. done that. Not not with snow tires or not with summer tires, but yeah, I mean, been in those conditions. Also, he didn't like understand. <laughs> he didn't know how to drive in the snow, so he was just like gunning it. I'm like, no, dude, come on. Um. All right. Um. Last week, uh, when Stephanie was here, we talked about the Chevy Blazer EV. Uh, both of us had had a chance to drive it the week before out in California. I didn't get to drive it because I was on vacation. Yeah. What? I, ding, it, ding ding ding. So. Overall, you know, we were both quite impressed with it, you know, from, yeah. from the driving experience, you know, okay. the, during the time we had to drive it, we had about an hour, hour and a half the first day, about three, three and a half hours the second day in the morning before flew back. And we, I think we, we drove, uh, what, probably about 200 miles all to all in um, uh, between the two sessions and really impressed with it. It, you know, drives really nice. It's a little... I think it's a little bit too wide. It's like four inches wider than a Mach E or uh, or uh, a Model Tim. Y, um, and it's it's also very heavy, um, and it's also very expensive. Um, What's the starting price on that? On it? Um, well, right now they have uh, the the 2LT with uh, the E all wheel drive is like fifty three fifty four thousand dollars for a Blazer. For the, the base front wheel drive LT oh. when it comes out. Sometime next year is going to be just shy of fifty grand. Well, that's too. I'm much. just going to keep and saying for a blazer. I'm, the, I'm the, sorry. 
Yeah. The the Ouch. the rear wheel drive RS, you know, which is the most powerful version they currently have, uh, is like sixty one thousand dollars. If oh, no. if you if you configure it <laughs> get this. If the you, look on your face is like you just ate a lemon. You're like, it, no. If you configure no. it similarly to a, to a Cadillac Lyric, it is actually more expensive than a Lyric. Oh, you know, it's the same battery, same end, same motors. It's the same platform. Such a it's weird the same size. Okay, fine. Okay, heavy. <clears throat> or you can just get a Mach-E or a, a Ionic Five. But, but it, or... it drives really well. You know, okay. I mean, the driving dynamics were really good. The seats, the front seats, do kind of suck. They're too flat um, oh. and don't don't have enough support. And I'm sure the the SS will have better seats, but the RS should have better seats than it does. But For the I think, price. I, I think I think what they yeah, do is they, they put the cop car seats because there's going to be a police version of this. They put the cop car seats in the RS, and you know they always say you know for cop cars they they don't have the really tight side bolsters because the cops have the big utility belts and they're getting in and out. And I think that's what they put in these RSs. But we didn't have any issues with you know any technical issues with you know a couple of different Blazers that we drove during the time we were there. Um. Infotainment system worked really well, uh, and this is you know the first of their Android automotive systems without CarPlay and without Android Auto support. Um, and there's a video on the Wheel Bearings YouTube channel where I did a walkthrough with one of the uh, the product managers of the infotainment system. You can see how it works with with an iPhone. Um, it all worked fine for us. However, um, others that have got had these the ones that they had at the drive program were great well Others, i heard a couple so, a couple so friends a couple other oh. people i know were on the drive program they had some where the like the infotainment system just turned oh, did. off oh, did yeah. it? Okay. so there was there was a few little yeah. weird glitches and they're like okay you know like when we had the lyric or like all right these yeah. are pre-production well, what are you gonna do well um you know they've actually been selling these they started delivering these in october to customers to paying customers yeah, or that's actually weird late thing. september um, and Edmonds bought one. They got they got their hands on one of the very first ones sold to a customer, um, and they were actually I think they were actually driving the Blazer down from their office near L.A. down to Del Mar where the drive program was, and ran into a whole bunch of issues with it. Um, the the infotainment system went bonkers on them. Um, the uh, <coughs> uh, they only have sixteen hundred miles on it. Um, and the, um, when it went into the dealer to get checked out, it had 23 fault codes. Oof. 23. Yeah. Um, so many fault codes. (laughs) And, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't just the 12 volt battery going dead. Yeah. Um, Cause they, they, you know, they had fault codes like, uh, well, service, the 12 volt system, service, the high voltage system, service vehicle soon, um, the infotainment system. Unable to charge service charging system. I mean, there's all kinds of issues. Wow. Um, and then um, the week after the uh, the drive in California, um, the uh, Inside EVs got one. Uh, one of their writers, um, Kevin Williams, uh, got one delivered uh, to his home in Ohio from the press fleet, from the GM press fleet, and he was uh, driving it to. I think he was going to. Uh, Virginia uh, for the holidays and within 28 hours after he got it, it left him completely stranded. Um, it, he had plugged it in 
to an Electrify America charger, um, after which it started getting all kinds of problems. It, he was he was having problems with the infotainment system crashing even before that. Uh, but then after trying to charge it at an EA station, it it was just completely dead. Um, and this is this may not this part of it may not actually be a GM problem because there's been reports of other vehicles. Uh, I know there was some Mach E's that got uh, bricked after charging at EA stations. You know, they fry, it actually fried the the charging system on the car. Um, so it may have been something related to that. Um, but you know, he he ended up abandoning the car at this charging station and renting a car to finish his trip. And you know, left the keys with it, and GM sent a flatbed to pick it up and bring it back to Detroit to try and diagnose it. Uh, but you know, the the I think like a day or two after this story came out on Inside EVs last week, GM issued a stop sale uh, to all their dealers mm-hmm. to stop you know stop deliveries of the uh, Blazer until they figure out what's going on. It sounds like from some of the issues. It's not because of some of the other problems they're having. It, it's clearly the infotainment system is not the root cause. It's the underlying software platform, uh, or maybe even the battery management system uh, software. But something else somewhere in the vehicle is causing these ve- these blazers right. to just yeah. die. That's not a good. Uh, that's not a good luck. It's not a great way to lunch. It's it's also uh, it's also uh, you know. That's some that's some bad timing. They're like, we're gonna get rid of CarPlay and electric vehicles because our infotainment system is gonna be awesome. And then this, yeah. Well, <laughs> and whether or not it's the infotainment system or not, uh, the fact that the infotainment system just turns off means that's the the. And then they, <laughs> they said, well, we're getting rid of the infotainment uh, phone projection because it's 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 not stable. And when it dies, people have to look at their phones. And so it's a safety it issue. Yeah. Well, in, so in this case, even if they had CarPlay and Android Auto, it still wouldn't have worked anyway because the whole screen was blank. Kapoof. Yeah, yeah, but it's that, but that, the, the, the idea that that was their yeah. one of their reasons by like a months later, they're like, oh yeah, and it's this. This is the reason. You're like, is it though? Yeah. And then this happened. You're like, oh. <laughs> but you Not know, back luck. back last spring when you know when they announced that they were dropping smartphone projection from their EVs, you know, I said at the time that. Yeah, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've used a lot of Android automotive infotainment systems, including in other GM vehicles, and they work fine. Um, but you know, it, it's up to GM to actually execute on doing this right if they actually want That's people to believe thing. that they don't need yep. projection. I had a whole conversation with them about it. I'm like, you can't say you're going to stop doing a thing until you have something better to show. That's the thing. If you're going to, and they're like, change, oh yeah. You have to, like, it's like, okay, everyone's a little bit reluctant to accept that you're making this change for good reasons. So once it actually happens, you better have that sucker nailed down. It's like, oh, you don't. That's uh, not, oh, no, no interest at all. It's a bad, it's a bad winter for, and fall for GM right now. Bad, yeah. But, you know, it, you, you know, the, the, the bolts were catching fire at one point and those things sound like hotcakes. I mean, kicks. it's not catching yeah. fire. Up for the so next guess, few days. Right? <laughs> at least until they're all gone. I mean, they've stopped, yeah. they've ended production and. You know, whatever's on the dealer lots are on their way to dealers. That's you know, it. that's it. Oh, uh, we should Get pour one out for the bolt. Yeah. Get your bolt while you can. Poor little bolts. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, speaking of software problems in EVs, mm-hmm. 
Uh, <laughs> Speaking of software, which by the way, software is really, really hard. Yes. If before, before, and it's it's especially hard because you have to deal with cars, and cars have to be cars. So it's you know, well, my phone, this app on my phone works fine. Yeah, if the <coughs> app on your phone like goes a little wonky, your car doesn't, you, you know, you don't go veering into a ditch. Right. Yeah. Totally you different re, deal. You restart yeah. your phone, it's all good. You know, yeah, nobody dies. Yeah, no one dies. Your car it's, goes so, off on its own. Um. <laughs> that is an excuse, everyone. But it's. I just want to say, software is super, super hard. Ask Ask Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. It's taking forever to get that infotainment system. You know, the Volkswagen, the people at Volkswagen are looking at GM and they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ours are just laggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ours doesn't completely crash, die, Ours still burn. works, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Uh, I remember it, the first it, ID. Has, it has gotten a lot better. The, the, the e- oh, yeah, no. I, I drove, When I drove the ID fine. Buzz... Um, it was. It actually did all the things it was supposed to do. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, good job! That's, that's all it has to do. Just do so, the things." So anyway, Tesla, the company that's supposed to be great at doing uh, software, <laughs> um, you know, last week they announced uh, a recall of, of two million Tesla vehicles. And you know, I'm not going to go through all of that again, but uh, you know, it was supposed to make some changes in the way they do the driver monitoring. Well, Consumer Reports, you know, they they own. Uh, several Teslas as part of their test fleet because they, you know, they buy most of the cars that they're that they're testing, and um, they got the the software update, the OTA update for the recall from Tesla, and so they went out and tested their cars, and turns out it doesn't really change anything, <laughs> which is pretty much what I expected. Uh, you can still cover up the uh, the in cabin camera, uh, and the system will still work fine. Um, you know, so. But yeah, you know, there's also been a bunch of other reports from other Tesla customers, you know, on on various social media sites complaining about, yeah, now now this doesn't, you know, some other things like their forward collision warning doesn't work, and auto steer doesn't work, and other other things don't work. So um, and near as I can tell, Tesla has actually done at least five different revisions of their software <laughs> since the initial. Recall OTA. Uh, whoops. It still has some See, broken stuff. The fact that you can cover up the camera is, it's like if I look away from that BMW camera for more than like three seconds, it loses its mind, yeah. which is great. I, mean, I, I think one of the first like eyesight in the uh, Subaru is the one that's inside. Like it doesn't even have anything to do with your driver's assistance. It's just watching you. And if I'm looking at a house, at the numbers on a house, it but yells you at you. You are not paying attention. I am. Yeah. <laughs> which is like, to be honest, like that's, that's what we need as humans at this point because we have so many distractions our phones and the infotainment and all those things that are going on we need someone to just scold us in the car um yeah we just yeah we need a we need a yeah i know people nanny cam that's yeah uh so um yeah so you know if, if you've got a tesla and you're getting these updates um things probably still aren't working great for you sorry well, At least um, it didn't turn off. Yeah, it's Tur- still going. Yeah, Tur- turns out hardware is also really hard, uh, not just software. Uh, this whole car thing is complicated. Guys. Cars are so hard. Jeez. Yeah. Someone did, told me they were easy. That yeah. someone was a fool. Someone lied. Did do you remember the uh, the Tesla battery day in twenty twenty? When, oh my gosh! Yeah, was this the one? Was, about, oh yeah, they were outside and they were talking about the new battery. Yes. Yeah, the forty six eighty battery. Forty six eighty. Yeah. And uh, they were talking talking about doing dry coating of the electrodes and all kinds of other cool stuff that was going to 
slash the cost of the battery by more than half. Um, well, they're still not able to do much of that. Oh, <laughs> it's you know they're uh, they're having a really hard time with dry coating the cells, um, especially the the cathodes. They can do the the dry coated anodes, but they can't really do dry coated cathodes yet. Um, and apparently, they're still only able to produce enough. 4680 cells uh, to build about 24,000 cyber trucks a year at max. Um, and they're, they're aiming for about 10 times that many. Yeah, that's not a lot. Which, again, I think that I, I, I'm just going to keep saying the Cybertruck, they sh- the, in its current iteration, they should have said, you know what? We're only building like a thousand of these a year. If you want another one that's built like a regular truck, <laughs> yeah, we can have those all day. <laughs> But no, tech, they, Tesla, Tesla, you know, you they can't double down. They're not changing. double down. Yeah. So you, 24,000 people are going to get their trucks this year. And then the rest of the, I don't even know how many people are actually on that list anymore. Who knows? Um, they just have to, have to wait till next year or until they figure it out. I mean, GM's having problems with Ultium. Uh, yeah. Well, they're, they're having problems with the module assembly. They're, they're apparently yeah, they're, the they're robot okay with, or something. Yeah. Apparently they're doing okay <laughs> with Robbie's building cells. Robot. He's waving his arms. I am a robot. <laughs> Sorry. I, I was doing, I was doing factory floor robot hands. I know this I is exactly not a visual a medium. Just, <laughs> he was doing a great job though. <laughs> if you're at home, just grab your arm and fling it around fling like it around. awkwardly. That's mm-hmm. what I was doing. That's what Robbie was doing. Yeah. Apparently, according to this Reuters uh, story, um, to uh, to meet their production goals for the uh, Cybertruck, the two hundred and fifty thousand a year, they would need to be making three hundred and forty million forty six eighty cells a year, or about a million a day. Um, and uh, currently, um, they're able to produce um, about ten million every sixteen weeks. So about one, it takes them about a week and a half, a little more than a week and a half to make a million cells, Ooh. rather than one day. Oof. Yeah, so well. You know, I should have again. <laughs> thousand a year. This new cell we're working on. We're gonna put the old cells in the regular truck, just and we're gonna be put... listening to Robbie, and it is all just fine. It, and uh, apparently, you know, on a on a regular cell production line that's working properly, they have about a five percent scrap rate of the cells coming off the line. Wow, um, they're getting about thirty to fifty percent. With the forty six eighties. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. What's the industry average for the scrap rate? That's what I was just wondering. What's the average? Uh, I, I think that we know. I think I think that's the five percent number. About five percent. Everyone's yeah. getting about five percent. All right. Yeah. Da, da, da. I want to. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm going to talk to Hyundai and Mercedes when I see them at CES. So uh, yeah, the the. Uh, the um the the dry coating process not working out so well for these larger cells. They can do it for for really small cells like little button batteries and stuff like that, but that's not very useful for an EV. <laughs> it's just a bunch of watch batteries. Yeah, we're gonna fill it with watch batteries. If you've seen the the TV show The Watch, two two, two million watch batteries. <laughs> two million. You just, you just fill up a bucket and just pour it's it in the cyber truck. Around in there. <laughs> As you turn, it's like it's like one of those rain sticks. You know the rain stick when you turn it upside down it makes that noise. You know what? I would be fine with a rain stick sounding car for about a week. And that day eight, I'm like, no, I don't, I can't, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me ask: have, have either of you two ever rented a, an electric scooter, an e-scooter? Never I, once in my whole life ever. 
my friend rented one and then I wrote it just so because they were having tra- problems writing it. And I'm like, well, let me try. And I was like, oh, this is fine. But I, to, 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 I, I've, I have a, um, I'm dumb. I have zero fear when I'm actually doing things. And I used to skateboard as a, you know, as a kid and a teenager and in my early, up to my early twenties. But no, I never rented one. Cause I was just like, yeah, I'll just take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, last year when I was leaving the Detroit Grand Prix, um, uh, the last one on Belle Isle, um, uh, you know, I didn't feel like waiting an hour in the line for the, the bus to go back to the, where I was parked. And so I start, you know, there's a fairly long bridge from the Island back to, back to the, the mainland. And, um, there was some scooters on there. I, I actually tried to rent one there. Um, and one wasn't working. Another one, when I got to it, you know, said it was already reserved. Somebody had already snagged it in the app. Um, and mm-hmm. I ended up just walking all the way across the bridge and then just grabbing a, a lift back to the parking area. But, um, this week or last week, um, bird, which was the first company that did these shared e-scooters filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, and I was in San Jose in March of 2018. I was at NVIDIA GTC on the day when they first dropped all these scooters in San Francisco and San Jose, you know, I walked out of the hotel to go to a dinner and all of a sudden there's all these scooters all over the sidewalk. Uh, and I'm, you know, I go over and look at one and look, you know, saw the label on their bird and saw the QR code. So I scanned it and looked up and it turns out that that day they had just dropped thousands of these things all over Silicon Valley and San Francisco. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing blew up from there. It was like uh, a reverse rapture. Yes. <laughs> Nicole Lee yes. and I. Instead of, instead of them all disappearing. They all disappeared. Nicole Lee and I were walking to go get coffee and we were like, what the hell are these things? Did someone just leave their scooter? I'm like, wait, where, why are all these scooters? And why are they blocking the sidewalk? <laughs> like the first thing they did was just block the sidewalk while we were walking. I'm like, oh, it went downhill from there. <laughs> and um, none of these companies have actually managed to make any money off of uh, shared scooters. So, um, you know, so m- most of them have already gone out of business. Bird was the biggest they went public a couple of years ago through a SPAC transaction. I think they were at their peak. They were worth about $2 billion and now they're, they're basically worth nothing. Are any of the, co- which rental scooter companies, are they still around? Bird there's one dead. more. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple others. Spin is still around. The one that was owned by Ford for a while. They Ford sold them off to another company. Who I can't remember the name of right now, but there's still spin scooters around here. Um, and, uh, I think there's 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 a couple of others. I think Lyft still has scooters. Yeah. I was just googling and I'm seeing Lyft scooters is what I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. But it was funny because the birds like we're leaving San Francisco because everyone's so mean to us and everyone's you know if we get it you know these tickets you know they we're getting all these tickets no one's writing you tickets. No one wrote a no one wrote a single ticket about. But they were like, "There's these giant fines." I'm like, "Show us where you guys were fined." And they're like, "There were giant fines." And the reality was, they just weren't making money. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they started off, you know, just buying thousands of scooters off of Alibaba. You know, just consumer scooters that, you know, they. I think they're not they, made for. I think they typically. Last, I think they typically lasted about six weeks before they had to be thrown out and replaced. Um, and you know, since then they've, you know, they've got purpose built scooters, but they're a lot more expensive and, you know, not enough people using them to, you know, to make it worthwhile. And then electric scooters got stupid, easy, cheap. 
So people just bought them themselves. Like if you walk on a college campus, they're just like kids riding around on their their own scooter that they like just cruise around in. I found one called Unagi scooters. Oh, I never heard of that. It looks very, it's trying to be very hip. They're trying to be super hip. You can fold them up. You just carry them like tiny little thing. (laughs) Tiny little thing. Tiny little thing. It's got a little app. Looks, and there's people that are driving. There's a whole community forging social connections. This is very dramatic. Yeah. And then I think, you know, the rise of, e, you know, the increase in sales of e-bikes didn't help you. That, These and, you rent yeah. for your own for the month. It's like e-bikes are for a month or so much safer. You just, you sit yeah, down. So you, so you pedals, can, you, yeah. I, I would, I'm, I would much rather ride an e-bike than oh, yeah. I even ride a scooter. Because I just, I know my, I know my own sense of balance. I'm not I, committing. I, like I, my I, feet don't fit on them. Like yeah. I can't put one right, foot because my feet are too yeah, big. Yeah. yeah. They're not uh, long enough. On, on on the other hand though, um, you know, if I lived in an apartment, I would, you know, like if I lived in New York yeah. somewhere and had to you know walk up, uh, you know, I would probably take one of the, you know, get one of these fold up scooters instead. Yeah. E-bikes That's are pretty heavy. You can get the Go Cycle, which is really it's it's the only folding one that's worth like carrying up and downstairs because folding e-bikes are typically about sixty to seventy. I did a whole review about these yeah. things. They're like sixty to seventy pounds for a regular one. It's really just to like fold it to put in your vehicle to go somewhere or to store it. But you can't you know seventy pound e-bike and they're all yeah. floppy and everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't know. But the the Go the, Cycle the, the one. The is pretty cool because the yeah, Unagi, it, right? Do you see yeah. it? Like it folds. It I, it didn't catch the weight, but it. Folds into almost like suitcasey sized yeah. kind of. Well, thing. and then of course there's uh, the the Honda Moto Compacto. Oh yeah, that's even scooter. Which truly just sounds. Cool. What do you have? I have a Moto Compacto. What yeah. is it? it makes you sound like a lot cooler than you probably are. It's, it does. Like you're suddenly cool when you drive. You can rent one of these by the month. Yeah. That's it. Forty bucks a month. What is this company? Like this is kind of cool, right? Yeah, I mean, if you if you're being servicing. Right? Yeah, if you live in a, live in an apartment or something, you know, and you need to carry it up. Yeah, you just take it with you and you plug it in. Uh, this this company's gone out of business at some point. But you know what? You're going to get a free scooter when they go out. Of, yeah, oh, yeah. $40 a month to rent a scooter that they ship to your house. Yeah, that's not going to last. <laughs> you can buy it for 1500 or you can rent it for $40. Well, so I'm just saying for 40, rent, that's 480 bucks a year. That's three years. I mean, you know, if you buy one, how long is it going to last? It's going to last three years. Maybe I'm just saying that this company is not going to last three years for charging forty bucks. Twenty eight pounds. Is it twenty eight point five pounds, or it looks like there's a fancier one? Because that's twelve miles. The twenty five mile one weighs twenty nine point six pounds. Looks like you can also buy the Anagi scooters too. You can, but you could yeah, just rent one. Fifteen. Yeah. yeah, you can just rent it until it breaks, and then you ship it back. Yeah. I've never heard of this company before. Neither have I. You just get your Anagi scooter. When it goes out of business, now you have a free scooter. I want okay, maybe that's what we made. I need a little bit. I need an Anagi scooter. Uh, I still get. I would still get a scooter, a bike. So, I would still get a bike first. Yeah. I would still get a bike. First. Unless you like again that walk up. So when when you guys need to go to the airport or something, you 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 ride the Hyperloop to get there, right? All the time. All the, always. That's Nonstop. I get inside of a tube. I get inside of a thing inside of a tube. And then we wait for the tube to become a vacuum. So we wait for all the air to get sucked out. <laughs> and we sit there and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then it has to make sure all the air sucked out from here to the airport. And I wait and I wait. And then I get there three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> but from, from the time you started, you know, like from, from the time the air got sucked out till you got to the airport. Oh, that it was, was only like, like 10 minutes, right? Yeah, that was nothing. It yeah. was just waiting for air to get sucked out. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, now we got a pinhole. There's yeah. a pinhole somewhere. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of people suspected, and, you know, it's almost certainly true that when when Elon Musk first published his little alpha paper about the Hyperloop idea um, back in 2013, that all he was trying to do was literally derail the uh, California high-speed rail project. Um, yep. And, you know. Shortly after, you know, a bunch of companies, a bunch of startups popped up and raised a bunch of venture capital, you know, to develop Hyperloops. And slowly, one by one, they've all fell, fallen by the wayside. There's a lot Go. of money that went in this. Yeah, I covered dollars. Hyperloop. That was like on my beat. I covered Hyperloop. I went to a couple of the Hyperloop events at uh, SpaceX where all the college kids were going. And I would always just say, I'm like, this is never going to happen. But the things that the college kids were coming up could be a, a, applicable to other uh, transportation. But I was always like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. And then there would all there would always be like some journalists like, no, no, this is going to happen. I'm like, I really want you to sit down and think about it. <laughs> well, I, I used in in the talks that I do at conferences, uh, you know, on mobility and other stuff. One of the slides, you know, one of the things I always talked about was the the need for multimodal mobility ecosystems. You know, having buses, trains, uh, micro mobility, robo taxis, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, and you know, I I always had a picture of a hyperloop on there. You know, one of the renderings, and I said, and who knows, maybe someday you might even have one of these, but probably not. <laughs> and it, it, it looks like it, it ain't going to happen. Um, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, you know, this this week, Hyperloop One shut down, laying off all its staff. Um, and uh, this this company has gone through a few different transitions over the years, um, different names. At one point, it was bought by Richard Branson. Um, and, uh, it was renamed Virgin Hyperloop. Um, but, um, uh, when, when, uh, I think it was like in 2016 or 17, I was at the, uh, uh, SAE world Congress in Detroit. And I talked with a guy who was one of the co-founders of this company when it was still called Hyperloop Technologies, uh, the original name of the company. His name was Brogan Bambrogan. Which, um, oh God, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to him. <laughs> oh, that's a. Yeah, I was like, is that his real name? I was concerned that maybe we were getting scammed. <laughs> yeah, but well, he he eventually got pushed out of him, and he kind of looks like a supervillain. Yeah, he he eventually got pushed out of the company after uh, claims of harassment and and other issues. So. Ah, Hyperloop. Yeah, Never so. forget. I went to but, I went to a Hyperloop hand, event where they had one that just went down a rail, like a train. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, there's on, video on the, of it. On the I other was, hand, there, there's an LA Times story today that uh, apparently the the um, uh, California high speed rail program is actually picking up steam and and move, moving forward. So. Hopefully that will eventually happen. And there's there's actually another there's a high speed rail program that's actually running in Florida now, um, between Miami and uh, Fort Lauderdale or somewhere. Everyone's super excited about the Las Vegas to LA um, yeah, high speed rail. About that yeah, one. yeah, everyone's like, yeah. Um, the hyper, the high speed rail. When I worked at Kinko's, I saw all the plans before they were public. 
because they would bring him to the Kinko's I worked at. I was like, hey, this is going through my hometown. It just blasts through my hometown. If it ever happens, it just blasts through Tehachapi. No one Tehachapi gets the right <laughs> the rail. You just, you just get to watch no, it fly no by. It's just an express yeah. train between LA and Vegas. Yeah, there's. I think it maybe stops in like probably Bakersfield and maybe Lancaster, but definitely not Tehachapi. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, so it, we mentioned CarPlay earlier um, last year in 2022 at uh, um, the Worldwide Developers Conference that Apple has. They announced their next generation CarPlay system, which is supposed to be able to um, project not just onto one center screen, but onto a whole bunch of, you know, all the screens in your car, including your instrument cluster. And I was always kind of dubious of that idea because the other thing they said was, and it's, you know, it's still going to run off your device. Um, you know, so why you would want to have the instrument cluster being projected from your phone is unclear to me. You know, exactly. Yeah. You, like, you still have, you know, you, you still have to have, you know, a, a, a built in system, you know, for, you know, if your phone's, dead or not working your battery dies you, you lose, lose your it, connection you, you, you still have yeah. to have the instrument cluster display there anyway and there's got to be a core a built-in embedded system that works and I mean, that's required by by federal regulations um and you know they, they put up a slide showing a whole bunch of automaker logos saying all these automakers are are going to use next gen carplay and among those i think was a gm logo if i'm not mistaken um awkward but, Anyway, nobody nobody ever made any announcements uh, until last week. Uh, GM or uh, sorry, uh, Apple put out a couple of Photoshop renderings uh, and announced that uh, Aston Martin and, and Porsche were going to debut the next gen CarPlay uh, next year. Um, I think in the uh, um, in the Porsche, it's going to be in the new Macan EV which uh, it just happens to be running Android Automotive as its base. Yeah, that's conference. another fun. So next-gen CarPlay running on top of Android Automotive will be fun. Mm. Uh, but the, the the rendering that they showed here for uh, for the Aston Martin is kind of funny. If you look at the center screen, it's you know it's clearly a Photoshop because it's it's not even angled correctly. They didn't it's skew the, it it's correctly. It's not lined up with it's, the actual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna shove it on there. Stick that on there, like a little. Hey, should we have up. someone who knows how to do Photoshop now? Now, just, 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 just do it. We gotta. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's the day. That's that. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I didn't realize that was today. Uh, Whoops. All right. So maybe maybe next gen CarPlay coming to Aston Martin and Porsche next year or or not. Uh, uh, and then last. <laughs> Last one. We're very excited about the next gen car play. Like, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Last one is um, the uh, Cadillac Celestic. Um, the first one has been spotted out on public roads, a, a prototype. Is that really? No. Yeah, this this was spotted on Woodward Avenue in Detroit a couple of days ago. Um, this is a wrap, though. Yeah, yeah, probably almost eyes. certainly. Yeah. Yeah, this is just. This, this thing is like bright neon green. Oh god, yeah. it's awesome. Ugly. I'm I'm sure, you know, so, be, you know, because these things are all custom built there and, you know, everybody can order whatever essentially whatever they want on there. There may well be somebody that some some rich person that orders one in this I hope somebody does order one in this color. Yeah, I want oh, someone god. to order someone in this color. Yeah, I demand a $250,000 car. Oh god. I demand day glow 
neon green. I, oh, yeah. Gosh. And I want to say radical, like splashed in pink along the side. I had a pair of skis like that from the from the from the uh, early ni- late eighties. I had skis that said "radical" on the back. <laughs> you were so cool, Robbie. They were. They had all these different colors. They were the yeah. Yeah. So this was spotted near uh, Past Diners Hobbies uh, on Woodward in Detroit, in uh, Birmingham. Past Diners is one of the more popular cars and coffee locations on Saturday mornings uh, around Detroit. And Steve Pastiner, who uh, who runs the place. Um, spotted this one and posted some photos on uh, Instagram um, a few days ago, and uh, so this this is the first time anybody's actually seen one on the road. Yeah, these are pretty it's low. Alive. It, it's it's bright and it's alive. Yeah, green green machine. It's very green. It is. It's the so green machine. Green. That is. But not... it's a it's a you know what it's electric wagon. That's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is. I'm like, yeah, more electric wagons, please. Uh, all right. Um, that's it for the news items, uh, except for SAE J3400. Um, this is, uh, you know what J3400 is, don't you, Robbie? I do. J3400 <laughs> is the fancy uh, standard name for NACS, the North American Charging Standard, which is just a fancy name for a Tesla's charging port. Yep. Um, and, you know, back in June, SAE announced that they were going to develop a, uh, a new standard uh, based on the, the Tesla designed connector. Um, and, you know, standard, you know, because Tesla, you know, did a, a bunch of stuff, you know, for their implementation of it. But, you know, they wanted to incorporate some other things like uh, official support for bidirectional charging and various, excuse me, various other things. Um, and they said that they would have it done by the end of the year. And sure enough, last year they published it, um, or last year, last week they published it. <laughs> um, and, uh, I had a chance to chat with, uh, Dr. Rodney McGee from university of Delaware. Um, uh, Rodney, uh, was the chair of the task force that developed the standard. Um, and, uh, we'll have that recording on here afterwards. It, it gets, gets pretty geeky at some points. Uh, you know, he's talking about about a lot how a lot of the stuff works but there's some really interesting stuff in there about what the benefits of this are over the existing um j1772 standard which is the 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 sa standard we've had you know in all non-tesla vehicles for the last 12 13 years ccs and and ccs um basically you know aside from the fact that you've got the smaller easier to use tesla connector there's actually a bunch of technical benefits to this as well, um, because the the existing standards only support up to 240 volts, but it turns out that um, you know uh, if you take you know the 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 power that comes through the power lines running around your neighborhood and everything, those are 480 volt three phase, and if you take a single phase of that, it's actually 277 volts, not 240 volts. And so to get it down to 240, you actually have to use a transformer to get it down to 240 volts, um, which adds extra cost. And so heat and you're losing power. Yeah. So so the so the new standard. A lot of nerdy things. Yeah, the new standard will will actually support up to 277 volts. So you'll be able to have um, uh, chargers that are less costly because they they require less hardware and this also applies to dc chargers ac and dc chargers 
So you can lower the cost of the infrastructure. Um, you have higher power, uh, higher charging power. So now, you know, because the 277 volts you, you know, versus 240, you can have 25% faster charging. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be more efficient, like 2 to 4% more efficient. So fewer losses because you don't have those transformers. Um, so should it should be better all around. And hopefully, you know, the software side of all this stuff works. And hopefully Electrify America can get their act together. Yeah. It's interesting because if you go to Tesla's site, because when they first said this back in June, like Tesla had all the specs and everything on their site you could link to. And then once this came out, once the SAE, um, the J3400 uh, stuff came out, Tesla now just links to that. They're like, oh, we don't, we're not holding anymore. Now it's test, and now it's SAE. So now it's, I know there's, there, you know, if you're concerned about, like, Tesla's gonna have a monopoly. I'm like, nope, nope, belongs to everyone now. Yeah, the only thing one, Tesla has, you a can build one at your house now. Yeah, the only thing <laughs> Tesla has a monopoly on is is their superchargers, which is which work. <laughs> well, they, they work. Which they, work? They work with Teslas. Well, they, they again. When I took that IX up there and I just plugged it in, I was just like. It just worked. That's it. Yeah. That's all I had to do. All I had to do is add. Yes. But the hardest thing I had to do was add a credit card to my Tesla account. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I just plugged it in. It's all boom. I'm like, <sighs> it was just sort of disheartening because you kind of want like some sort of like problem to happen, <laughs> and there wasn't. Because, you know, we, we know that, the, you know, the, you have to do the software handshake between the car and the charger. And there's all these things, that, you know, like, all oh, these are the reasons why things don't work. And then I just go to the Tesla thing with a BMW and I just plug it in. It we works. Know it works. Yep. <sighs> well, um, I will we'll see what happens when they have thousands of EVs, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, in, in, the, in the conversation I had with Rodney, um, he references some, he, some diagrams that are in a slide deck which I will attach to the post on the, on the site on wheelbearings.media. Uh, and I'll put a link to it in the, um, uh, in the show notes. So if you want to follow along with what he's saying, um, you can, you can download those or, um, those slides and see what he's talking about. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. Um, so hopefully, uh, you'll enjoy that. Um, and, uh, I think that's all we've got for, for this week. Um, anything else, uh, you guys have? I got nothing. Okay. Nothing. All right. Nothing, honey. Well, uh, happy holidays, everybody. Um, you know, happy new year. Uh, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah are behind us and I think, uh, Festivus and hopefully you got a chance to air all your grievances. Air all your grievances. <laughs> um, so, uh, have a happy of strength. Year. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. 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 Nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you as well, Dr. McGee. Oh, yeah, please. Rodney, it's fine. All right, thanks, Rodney. And so I was hoping to uh, have a little chat with you to talk about uh, J3400, uh, which uh, was just published, um, yep. and learn a little bit more, um, you know, especially for, for the podcast listeners, about what this actually means uh, in terms of um, implementing the the NACS uh, connector standard uh, for future EVs, not non Tesla EVs. Yeah. So um, for non for non Tesla EVs, well, there's a lot to talk about. Um, now we could probably the best thing we could focus on is you know automakers who are 
going to be making native next vehicles at some point, you know, next year, the year after, whatever. Everyone has a sort of a different timeline. Some haven't given specific dates, but um, <clears throat> what is, uh, we could probably either start with AC or DC. What kind of, what kind of in particular? Well, yeah, I guess um, maybe, maybe first, you know, uh, what what has uh, has anything cha- in terms of the standard has anything changed uh, that's notable from what Tesla has deployed today and you know what they initially released? Well, the Tesla specification was kind of very narrow and, and not necessarily very um, uh, all encompassing in terms of you know the aspects it covers. So. You know, things like AC charging voltages were not specified in 23666, which is what Tesla called that specification. Um, and so that was sort of one thing that the standard had to decide. And uh, I, you know, I don't know if you, did you read my blog post I did, uh, not blog, but my interview I did with Electrotech or whatever they're called? Uh, yeah, I, I did see that one. In fact, I've got it uh, open here in another browser tab right now. So uh, one of the, just as background, one of the things that when Tesla first created, um, actually I have a nice chart on this. Let me show you real quick. Um, okay. This I think is a good example. Okay. So, your screen, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, typically, if you have a site in the U.S., uh, let's say it's, it's a parking lot that has a few DC chargers and some AC chargers. It's a CCS-based system. Uh, it's a commercial site. This is kind of what you're looking at. Um. There was a lot of talk about, you know, 48277 in the article. One of the reasons that was discussed, as a lot of people may not know, but most DC charging stations, with some exceptions, ban like some 2030 kilowatt DC stations. Um, pretty much anything considered a fast charger is running at 48277. Uh, so what it means if you have level two and um, DC in the same site is they can't show the same power infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So they now just so you know, this utility buys this. So you pay electric rates, utility pays and they furnish this transformer for you. Maybe this is up on a pole. Maybe this is a this is a ground mounted one right here, uh, depending on the amount of power you're asking for. And so let's just imagine you go to the utility and you want to put in 10 level twos. Just, you know, you can just, you know, just do the math on that, right? So let's say they're like 10 kilowatts each. You know, you do, you you install 10 of those. Um, you know, you, you're talking, well, it's just right, right there. Let's say 100 kVA. There's some kilowatts where if you request it, you're just going to get 48277 from the utility if you put in enough charging. And that's just because they only stock transformers a certain size, whether that's 300 or 1,000 kilowatt, whatever that threshold is. At some point, you're going to get 480. You won't even have the choice of 208. So what that means is you'll have to have intermediate customer and transformer. Guess who pays for this? You do. 
get space for this. You do. So all of this costs, and by the way, you lose two to eight percent going through here. So basically today you have what a lot of people get, which is 208. You get 240 at home. You can get 240 at commercial locations, but honestly, 95% of the time it's 208 currently today. And you have transformers here. So when we did Tesla, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that um, this is a this is a ge generation two wall box. So a generation two wall box uh, is UL listed and can operate up to 80 amps, but it also goes to 277 volts. Mm. So you got your 208 covered, your 240 covered, uh, your 277. And what that means is from the very earliest days of Nax, uh, Tesla could install. Uh, AC stations off the same supply as a DC station. So it looks like this. Your three phases go out to your next DC EBSC. And your AC chargers just pull off a single phase. Oh. So now you've, you've eliminated a whole... Um, uh, and just the way the math works, these are your four most common... Why does this stuff matter? Okay, why? Because we're talking about mass electrification, Right. We've already put, we've, upper middle class people don't have problems charging. Where do they charge for most of their driving? They no. charge at home, yeah. in their garage. They're, they're, they're solved. We, we know how to install charging infrastructure there. 240, 60 amps, 48 amps, continuous charging, whatever. You're good to go for all, anything you could need for your home charging, right? But what about the 60%? It's like something like, you know, half the U.S. economy is involved with transportation of goods, right? So how do we electrify the rest of the system? You know, city dwellers, medium and heavy duty, uh, all the Amazon trucks, everything. Well, the, the way to do that is to support the th all of these voltages here with next can be supported for AC charging. So you can 277 volt charge right here. So you can pull a face here and you could have three different vehicles charging, you know, C to neutral, A to neutral, B to neutral. They all get 277. Your DC charger runs on the 480. You get your 208, okay? You can still charge off 208 single phase. You get your um, your 240. This is the only kind of commercial 240 you get. This is kind of a legacy installation. So you get 240 here. And this is what we have at our homes. This is what everyone's used to. So people have this understanding of, well, basically, for, for the most part, these top two are the only ones you can do with CCS. Uh, you could do this one too, but again, this is for legacy installation. So we were just talking about these top two here. Nax essentially opens the door to this bottom one for AC charging. And the reason why that's important is the lighting in this room, this 277 volts, um, the HVAC in this apart in this building, this commercial building is 480 volts, three phase. And so a lot of people don't realize that, but there's a humming transformer room right over there. And that little transformer here is sized for the building. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when they design building they say how many outlets are we going to need in there you know do we need some 208 for the kitchen for the little electric cooktop and for an apartment building and that's what they size it out all the extra capacity is back here at the utility transformer and it's sitting at the side voltage so a lot of people don't even realize they think oh my building only has 208 yes that's because that's what you get for your domestic sockets for your you know little plugs but what's actually going back here on the heavy side, certainly all the anywhere you'd put a DC station, you got this. So the big difference was 
the Na Tesla vehicles supported 277, and they they have. We it was a kind of a relatively big decision point was was which automakers were going to line up behind support, keeping that retaining that. Tesla themselves started to walk away from that because they thought they were going to lose the connector work. They thought they were going to have to become a subset of what J1772 was. That's why products like the AC Magic Dock and the DC Magic Dock, those were in development like over a year ago, right? Because mm -hmm. they're, they're out. So that's time period those products were started a year or two ago. They were looking at the Nevi rules. We're going to be forced to install that kind of infrastructure. Maybe and eventually European style, we're going to be required to have CCS inlets, but that's probably not going to be for a while. But they were looking at that on the horizon and planning. And so they internally de-emphasized that. Not because it wasn't good engineering, right? but the reality. But to get of, compatibility with the rest of the CCS vehicles. Right. Yeah. Even though they were a minority of market share, right? That was the contradiction of Nevi, right? Is you have a company with 66, 70% EV market share, right? And the only standard was used by the majority of the other OEMs, but a majority of North American market share, right? Okay. And so that that was one reason why once, you know, Ford flipped the next, sort of everyone did because they're joining the majority, really, of the infrastructure. Not with the one exception of um, level two AC chargers. There's more level two AC chargers than there are uh, destination chargers, but in terms of DC fast chargers, there's more more tesla than anything else um just by the numbers so so i so, guess what what this would mean for consumers is that they will um uh, potentially have the ability assuming that automakers um oh, um integrate 277 volt capability into their vehicles when they go to the nax connector yet they should be able to get faster AC charging is, is one benefit. Faster, cheaper. I mean, it will be a little bit faster. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain advantages, right? So, um, you know, you're getting 25% power for the same ampacity, right? Um, you're getting less, you're getting an efficiency improvement just because of the loss of the wires. Um, the biggest, the efficiency one, I wouldn't undercount, you know, two to 4%. Forever is a lot of efficiency. A lot of you know that adds up to a lot of a lot of watts. The Department of Energy like loses their shit, you know, to get a one percent efficiency increase. That's like a huge win if they can increase something by a percent, right? Um, that'll have an effect if you know if we electrify vehicles. Imagine increasing the efficiency of charging by two to four percent. Yeah, I mean that in and of itself. Pays for the next switch over, and you can you can see um, that that's the that's the thing. The two seventy seven was a bit. It's only a North American voltage. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. So, you know, your there was a Japanese automaker and there was a German automaker who weren't in favor of keeping two seventy seven. The rest of um, you know, you had support from big companies like ChargePoint, you had support from Ford and GM and, you know, Honda and a bunch of other companies who I think, especially those who have energy units, 
they instead of just the way we designed standards, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it was okay to save a dollar a car if it costs a thousand dollars more off the car, right? Because whose money is it? Oh, I don't care if it costs a thousand dollars or two thousand or three thousand dollars more out there. Mm-hmm. If I save dollars here, that's better. But they don't look at it that way. You have GM Energy in it. You have Ford Pro Business. You have, you know, Honda is launching their initiatives that they can't look at it like that anymore. This is the reason why Ford had 277, or sorry, this is the reason why Tesla had 277 to begin with, is because they were designing for both sides. So when you design for both sides, you get a different solution. And it was appearing, you know, prior to the next switchover that we were going to you know, Tesla would still have 277 support because these stations exist. That was another sort of reason, right? Is this the typical NAC station? No, but there there are numbers, like I don't know, I don't actually know the specifics, but there are thousands of them out there, right? If you buy a NAC inlet vehicle and you plug into a destination charger, it should work, right? So partially support for 277 was to say, yes, Tesla's de-emphasized it, but these stations are out there. So if you're gonna build a NAC car, your vehicle could see that voltage, you should design for it, right? And then that's sort of the push to do it. But then when you look at all the advantages, well, then it's just paying dividends after you, you know, you swallow that. And is it a big deal? Not really. Um, the IEC standards on pre-pitching clearance when you're designing the circuit boards and X and Y caps, um, the big, your big Siemens, you know, companies like Siemens and, you know, uh, you know, um, Eaton and those kind of companies that design stuff for global market, they already, like uh, like with these power supplies that go inside these lights and things, they already design for 277 because for, for a lot of industrial because they don't want to design different products for North America. So generally anything less than 300 volts gets categorized in the requirements very similarly. Anything between 240 and 300 so it's kind of like in the standards, they'll be like, if it's higher than 200, but less than 300, design it like this. And so what that means is a lot of the spacings and a lot of the components um, are already 277 ready. They just need to go through and make sure. Because what typically happens is the car is just going to check the voltage, say it's too high, and maybe say, oh, I'm not compatible. But if they want to build a NAX version of this onboard charger, then they need to basically, you know, and have a, a more extended range that they test for and an extended range that the software accepts. But not all OEMs will even need to make significant hardware changes. Because keep in mind, this is the other big thing. NACS uses AC and DC pins on the same... They use AC and DC on the same pins. What's the new DC charging voltage is up to? 1,000 volts. So you already designed these pins for 1,000 volts DC. So... Yes, you have to maybe make sure your onboard charger is ready to take 277, but all the wiring, the sockets, the you know the relays, all the safety things, all of that has to be rated for 1,000 volts DC. So when they looked at the big picture, they were like, oh, 277s, you know, 95% of the OEMs looked at it and said, wow, we're going to get all these advantages for North America. It's not really going to cost us anything. It could half the cost of a you know, a uh, AC charger. Of course, we should do this. But that took a lot of discussions in the meetings to kind of get to that, to get to that point. Um, 
I would say earlier in the process, it was more, uh, it was more 50, 50. And by the time the votes came about, it was more 90, 10, uh, in terms of the, the split on supporting it. So that's the other big difference. <clears throat> so you now, got improved efficiency, lower infrastructure cost, um, and potentially <clears throat> higher charging power if everything's set up on the vehicle side. So that was like a no brainer. It is kind of, and then that's the reason why most people kind of like fell in line for that. Now, you might have might have caught this or might have not, but it's sort of mentioned in the um, it's sort of mentioned in the article. Um, oh, shift. Okay. So you saw this picture in the article. I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. So 277 is important for another reason. This picture. You have 277. 277 is a single phase of a three-phase 480 system. Why? Well, so now what you can do is have infrastructure like this that may or may not be connected to three-phase. So on this connector, for example, it's only going to pick up two of the wires, right? So Nexus only has two powers. So you're going to pick up line and neutral. All right, going back to this. So we're picking up line and neutral. But what is if if it's a heavy-duty vehicle and it has all five of these pins? Now it can get up to 52 kilowatts. Now the reason why that's important is there are school bus projects right now doing AC charging. They're maxing out J1772 at 19 kilowatts. They, they, they hit that. They're right up on that limit. And those tiny little 3.2-millimeter pins on J1772, while they can do 80 amps, and there are listed 80 amp products out there, it's touchy. 80 amps is right at the absolute maximum limit for those 3.2 millimeter pins. So they don't last very long. So a lot of these school bus projects, they're getting less than a year out of their cables just mm-hmm. because it's thermally it's thermally stressing for the cables. They're relatively large battery packs on these school buses. They need to charge. So they don't necessarily need DC charging. They just need higher than 20, 30, 40. Any, anywhere in those sort of numbers they get above that, they're good. So the way the math sort of works is if it's three-phase, you now have interoperability. So the way it works in Europe is not all cars can three-phase charge. But if the phases are there, then, the, then it can take advantage of them. So what that means is, is that you, before this change, if you wanted to think about using the three-phase connector for a medium and heavy-duty application, you know, these kind of vehicles that are coming, your, your F650s, your sort of big big trucks, right? Um, you had to choose, do I want J1772 or something else because of the fixed cords? But now if the infrastructure is just a socket outlet, like she used everywhere else in the world, then you don't have to choose AC connectors anymore. You can just have infrastructure that allows the vehicle to support what it can. Um, and if it's NACS compliant, it, it can charge on any of the voltages that could possibly. So you could plug into a three-phase outlet and plug that plug a NAC, <coughs> excuse me, plug a NACS connector into the the vehicle, and it'll all work. Yeah, twenty. Yep. Yeah. So the idea is, think of a school bus where a school bus lot where they have a mixed fleet. They have a lot of trucks and buses, but a few car vehicles. They can use the same infrastructure to charge both kinds of vehicles and again it's really electrification is about being able to take the power that comes from the utility get it into a panel and get it out to a charger 
as cheap as possible. As the more stuff you add in here, the more electrification costs, right? And if you have to go to if you have to go to DC charging just to get you know thirty kilowatts um, or something like that, which is what you have to do without three phase, that's a big setback for medium heavy duty. That means you're talking about a station that costs a few thousand dollars to a station that costs more than ten thousand dollars. So it's just a complete, and they don't necessarily need that. They just need something that can um, can charge a little bit better. It's just, basically it's the same reason you use AC, just a use case scaled up for a bigger pack, right? So if if you if in the passenger car world we know that we can cover a lot of AC use cases with that you know, seven to sort of 20 kilowatt charging. We know we can pretty much do everything we need, mm -hmm. but that's for our energy usage based on the kind of loads we do. Well, those trucks and buses, they have three or four times bigger battery packs. You just scale up and three phase does that. So it's, a, it's trucks and buses are about 10 years behind everything else. Like we think we've seen a lot of like projects with, you know, delivery companies and doing stuff. We haven't really scratched the surface of electrifying transportation yet. So I'll let these solutions are setting us up for um, how do we have mass electrification across the duty, uh, across the usage duty from passenger cars all the way through heavy. So this solution is really AC charging finished up basically for the 21st century because this is basically taking the AC that we have on the grid today and how do we get that into cars? Just keep in mind, we have a transformer shortage. There are buildings being held up right now that can't go live because they're backordered waiting for these guys. Right. And these, if you keep the NEVI rules the way they're listed now and requiring level two forever uh, kind of rules, uh, then you basically say, then you have to take this path for all AC charging. Um, DC charging... You know, I think, um, well, let me ask if you have any questions. That's kind of the, that's the sum of the AC. It's all of these pieces together. You have to take the street charging component with the 277, with the three phase, and you have this whole buffet of from, you know, people charging along, you know, a street in Philadelphia, street parking, all the way through how do we, like, electrify delivery trucks, you know, at a, at a, like a large facility where the whole parking lot has chargers and you want them like this, not with cords hanging around that and drivers are driving over crushing. You go out to actual lots. They put the school buses right next to each other. Really close. Um, the drivers taking the infrastructure away so they can plow it. They can clean it. They can work with it. Just sets everything up for, low maintenance maintainable infrastructure to electrify right uh, <clears throat> and as really we said for especially for that street charging what you don't want is curbside chargers that have cords hanging off ideally a solution like this where you know the the driver keeps the cord in their car when they get to a, a location they just plug in and all all the chart all the the pedestals or the lamp posts or whatever it might be have the yeah. same connector on there um, and then, um, and then, you know, they've got their cord has the right connector for that vehicle. That's right. And then you never have to do this. You know, you never have to worry about, you know, that again. And it's not some kooky thing the U S is coming up with. This is what China, India, Europe, this is what they all use. So of course, of course this is like the right solutions, what the rest of the world, 
It was only the United States. Here, here's kind of a point to make. <laughs> the United States was the only country in the world that had to do anything this effing stupid. Daisy charge. Every other country could charge with their three-phase voltage. From the Japanese 200-volt systems through your Chinese 220-volt systems, that's 380-220, from the European 400-230. Like, everyone could take... Whatever you put into a DC charger, you could put into a car. We were the only country that couldn't do that. We were at a disadvantage. Yeah. We were at a disadvantage with electrification. We, we had a more complicated infrastructure than anyone else for AC charging. And a lot of people never got the feedback, right? Because when you go to an electrical engineer, you say, design me a parking lot with 25 level twos. Well, what's level two need? Oh, it needs, it goes 280 to 240. The guy just draws the plan out because that's what it requires. He doesn't go back and say, hey, can't these things do 277? That would save us a lot of money. That's not how the loop works. Yeah. Requirements flow down, you know? So a lot of people never got to hear, you know, you know electrical engineer doesn't come back and say, hey, you know, you should tell these SAE guys that if they made this change, it would save us like half the money for this project. No, they're not going to say that. They just design it for what it's spec to. And if the specs are level two, this is what you're going to end up with. Um, and that's, that's another thing to mention. Unanimous among the like hundred and um, among like the hundred and fifty people in the group that we completely abandoned the level terminology. No, oh, um, okay. Level one, level two, level three never was a thing anyway, but the industry just used it because um, I don't know why. But uh, it was just kind of a colloquial term people used. Technically, like CCS DC fast charging was actually DC level two, but nobody called it that. That's actually what the standard called it. So. In terms of a standard stuff, that level terminology failed. You could have a level two charger that was just 240, 20 amps mm-hmm. or 240, 15 amps. You know, it was in theory, you could have a level one that was higher than a level two. If you put in a level one at 40 amps and you put in a level two at 15, you could have a level one that was higher than it. It, it was just dumb, uh, the terminology it didn't communicate anything to drivers like EV drivers who have had an EV for more than a year. They're like kilowatts. I want to know how many kilowatts I can charge at because I know how big a battery I have. So kilowatts is the answer. So it was unanimous for people to say, let's talk about charging kilowatts. And then the only thing complicated for DC, of course, was if it's a thousand volt charger and you're a 500 volt car, you're going to charge at half the speed of that DC charger can do, right? Because your volts are just... So if it says it's a 500 kilowatt DC charger, then you're charging a 250 at most because your battery packs lower voltage. But other than that, um, in terms of terminology, the DC charging, uh, it's kind of what exactly what you expect. I mean, the J3400 is 1,000 volts is sort of, the recommended sort of normal versus like typical max charging state DC charging stations today are obviously there are 500 volts, the thousand volt Tesla stations are just now being deployed. Yeah. I think um, that's their version four superchargers right. are a thousand volts. Yeah. And so with third party max DC chargers, I think the, they're all going to be thousand volts just because they're going to start there. Cause why would you come? I mean, I'm sure there'll be some products, but 
I think a lot of your first, next certified DC VSCs are going to be thousand volt because that's what we're installing with CCS right now. New stuff, a lot of it is thousand volt. So electrify America, that kind of stuff. So that's what you're going to see people taking their thousand volt CCS stations and then putting the thousand volt snacks connector on there, which is slightly different. I mean, if you look at it, then the next connector, they, they mate together, of course, but the, um, the J3400 connector is technically like what's on the version four superchargers. And that does physically, it does look different. It has different baffling on the inside to handle the higher voltages and things like that. I remember uh, back uh, in the way back when J1772, like 2008, nine, when yeah, that, that standard was being developed, one of the things that was mentioned at the time was that the connector was designed for like 10,000 insertion cycles. Um, yeah. Is that still the case with 3,400 or is that? That's been... a UL requirement. Okay. So just to get your UL certification, they're going to test you 10,000. Whether it holds up in the real world or not, that's yeah. somebody puts dirt in there. But the, the UL standard requires 10,000. Okay. So it might have been something that, you know, back then they had to put in the standard or had to put in SA standard, but that's part of the UL process, honestly. Okay. And point. And the IEC requires, by, uh, which just, you know, <coughs> international standards require 5,000 for AC and 10,000 for DC. And because Nax is a, is a AC plus DC guy, then 10,000 seemed reasonable to settle at since that was the North American requirement anyway. Okay. Uh, the real. Oh, go ahead. Oh. There is one thing I wanted wanted to mention, and basically, I think it's an important for sort of many policy people and kind of what they're thinking about is right now. Again, I, I've mentioned this a few times, but if the Nevi rules continue to call out, you know, level two AC, then we don't get to take advantage of any of that kind of stuff I, I showed you about. Mm -hmm. And so, I mentioned in that Electrotech article that. Um, one compromise being discussed is basically saying, okay, well, you have to have, you know, J1772 for DC fast chargers to get Nevi funding, but maybe we open things up on the AC side because AC charging where we're lacking is in that sort of apartment. And for, it's, it's really for new EV drivers. It's really for people who don't, I don't know about you, but I know people firsthand, like uh, I know uh, a colleague of mine who lives in Philly, street parks, she got an EV, mm -hmm. couldn't find places to park. She got rid of it. Yeah. Because she parks. And so those are the drivers that we're really missing out on today. Those who those who need the they need they need the utility just to be able to pull the two seventy seven down. They need the street charging. They they don't need that permanently installed J seventeen seventy two cord because that's going to mean that installation is more expensive to put in more expensive to maintain mark and that means it's going to cost more money which means it's not going to go in and in lower income areas this is like all of these cascading effects that you what they are worried about is you know leaving evs behind but if you think about it people who have j 72 cars today they know where they charge their cars the only time they get in trouble is their long trips Right. And that's where the DC part comes in. So having a long period of transition times on that. But when they come home, they're going to come home if they're an existing EV driver. 
they figured out their AC charging equation, like 95% of other Americans, they have their place where the AC char- charge. Um, and so I think that's, they're two different use cases. So having the same kind of rules for AC and DC apply, and there's going to have to be some, there's going to have to be some lobbying to flip that. You know, one thing, one of the things, you know, the optics everyone's really worried about is no one wants to uh, cross streams politically, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're too friendly with it, if you're seeming like you're being unfairly friendly to the NAC standard, uh, are you going to get, you know, pushback for being like a Tesla sycophant, right? Uh, And uh, that is unfortunately kind of a political reality right and so even though the technicals are pretty clear but that's not something those you know keeping 277 um the street charging options all of that stuff tesla supported but it wasn't their it wasn't their idea it was a collective of all the other oems who were coming into that system um and so they should it, it shouldn't be looked at, uh, certainly on the AC side, as you know, doing Tesla's bidding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know, pretty much almost all of the industry is behind this because there's definite technical and cost benefits to it, and and given given the affordability challenges around and the costs around the shift to electrification, if, if we can if we can take cost out of both the infrastructure side and and the vehicle side. That's regardless of who originally developed. It doesn't matter who developed it. It's a, it's going to be a benefit to everyone, right? And that's the thing that I'm struggling to get across. The government is a little bit leaning towards this no EV left behind thing, and I think we can do that with DC. But I think it's more about the politics of it, and actually just not wanting to feel like it's such a big shift, right? It's such a big shift than where we were a year ago when the Nevi rule finally came out. It's such a big shift that it's hard for a lot of people. But as I've pointed out to the regulators, we have, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here, a once in a generation opportunity to make a change here because of the connector switch. Right. If we didn't have the connector switch, none of this would be on the table. None of it. So, None of it was on the table. I and ride. we're still so early on. I mean, you know, it's barely more than 1% of the vehicle fleet is electric today. Yeah. That, you know, even, even if some vehicles are, quote-unquote, left behind, it's going to be a tiny percentage of the total vehicle fleet, you know, in a few years. Right. And that's why I hope that, like, you know, independent voices, like, you know, you guys that are tied in with... There, there's the, So the voices kind of against it, right, are... People who don't really care about electrification, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people, OEMs are openly hostile, hostile to EVs, Toyota. Um, you know, uh, people who, uh, who have existing products that maybe aren't these products that want to move it this year. But does that really mean with the kind of um, acquisition guidelines changes, like, the requirements go in years before the stuff goes in the ground. So right. you're going to be able to clear out this inventory. Nobody just wants their 
you know, level two EVSC with the permanently attached core J1772 to look like a dinosaur. But that's where we are. Yeah. It, it, it is, as of today, it is officially yesterday's cord. And the quicker we move on from that, while having a support path, like I said, for the DC charging and, and not like letting people who invest in EVs getting left out, they're going to have a, they have their charger at home. They're going to have their place to charge along the interstate and all that kind of stuff. Important, not no disagreement there. But for these people who just don't have EVs now, we need to have regulations that allow it to be lower cost because that's one of my biggest criticisms of a lot of this green tech is it's not as accessible to uh, people across uh, different income classes. It's just not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is related to these kind of decisions. When we started electrification, like you mentioned, 2008 area, we were like, how do we sell, you know, relatively expensive cars to upper middle class buyers? Yeah. Right. But if we're going to have electrification, we have to have, we have to have, we have to bring, everyone has to be able to share in that. And it has to be equitable to be accessible. And that's what we're really trying to set up with a lot of these standards is, is really to kind of push on that. And luckily, we have the support from the automakers who, because they're working both sides now, a lot of them could see the light in it. It just happened to be that what the companies wanted and what was good for electrification were aligned. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. Um, I don't want to be too much of an AC versus DC guy. DC has its place. It's great for in-route charging. But in terms of having the most number of vehicles charging, the cheapest amount of money and connected to be able to opportunistically charge there's nothing like ac yeah after are plugged in ready to receive a charging schedule based on the driver's needs that gives them the best value charge and maybe opportunities for things like vug in the future ac can only really offer that because of the cost uh, fundamentally <coughs> dc is like a filling station you get in you fill up you leave for people who say DC chargers are just going to get cheaper and cheaper. No. Nope. It's true. They will get cheaper, but the onboard charger will get cheaper also. They're the same stuff. Yeah. So whatever's going on on the DC side. And the electricity is not necessarily going to get any cheaper, though. No. Yeah. Which is why you got to be able to charge opportunistically. Yeah. Which is why you got to have low infrastructure costs. So and then people want their electric cars to do stuff. So they want to go camping and they want to have things like be able to load. All of that keeps the bi-directional onboard charger on the car. So more and more people are adding AC bi-directionality. Whether it's on-grid or off-grid or whatever that is, that's all coming into the mix because... And that's supported in 3400, right? And that's supported in 3400, right? So we have multiple multiple ways to do that. And that's on, that's on AC. So, yeah, there'll be use cases for DC Vita X kind of stuff. Certainly, Chatamo's had that for more than 10 years now. But that's not a that's not the kind of thing that will be widely deployed in, in North America for backup, you know, backup situations. So, you know, that that's why for outside of the in route charging, I'm a big believer in AC. And that's why we really focused in on mass electrification having good, solid options for AC charging. 
And that's really what's different than thirty uh, than the NAC standard. NAC standard didn't the NAC st- uh, spec published by Tesla didn't really get into any of that. Not that it disallowed it. Um, it, it just, just didn't. It just didn't address it at all. It didn't just didn't address it. Yeah. So that's really where the SAE standard is different, primarily on the AC side. There are some small, you know, there are some minor minor technical differences. Like one of the things that's an option in NACs is having a button on the cord, not that makes a latch, not like J seventeen seventy two, the button to stop charging. How does that work on AC and DC charging? It's a little different. It's not required that you have a stop button, but it's an option for both AC and DC. And so one of the things you'll notice about CCS today is if your connector's locked, you have to go touch on the screen to get Mm -hmm. the stop. Maybe you have a stop button in your car, maybe not. But once the connector's latched, you can't push the thing down. So a lot of next things are going to have a kind of a push to make a disconnect request on the connector. Now, I'm assuming the way that's going to work is if you have your vehicle locked and someone just walks by and push the button, it is going to ramp down. But then if you never unlock, it probably just then keeps charging after like a minute or two. I don't know exactly how that implementation will work. So in case people just go by and push your button or something. Or maybe you have to have your doors unlocked and then you press the button or I don't know. But essentially... um, you know, <coughs> minor, there's there's still minor details like that kind of stuff that I think you're going to see some next AC products coming out without a push to stop button and some will have it. And so there'll be some differences there. Tesla stations are going to all have them in both cases, I think. But again, that that's, that's kind of where we are. There's a lot of discussions in uh, the standard about, you know, whether we we're going to have more revisions of the standard with regards to safety for ACDC pin sharing, performance requirements, connector testing, just that nothing really changing fundamentally what it is in the future revisions of the standard, but really just getting it to be more, you know, just more standard stuff, basically having things be more compliant and more performance requirements and safer and things like that. Yeah. Um, um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was the communication side of this, because obviously chargers and vehicles have to talk to each other. Uh, <clears throat> and I know that in 1772 and CCS, there's the standards, there's uh, the communication protocols. Has how, how has that been incorporated into 3400? There's a lot of... Uh... There's no one re- requirement for communications. It's, it's pretty um, open. You might say, why? Why? Well, there's a lot of things that don't that aren't finished and worked out about communications. Like we don't have plug and charge in North America, and it's not because we don't have technical standards. It's because we don't have. Um, it's because we don't have business arrangements that allow them and we don't have ways to authenticate drivers across the whole spectrum, right? Like how does ChargePoint know you're a Ford customer? How does, you know, GM know you're a Tesla customer, right? So those kind of issues have to be solved to make things like plug and charge work. And that's outside of my 
uh, task force that's on that's ongoing within the SAE ITC group, and I think there are going to be some announcements on that next year. I think you've had a number of OEMs make movements there, um, and and you'll see those press releases on that topic uh, next year. And I should move that along. But in terms of communication, um, pretty much anything that's a standard that's published on communication that's compatible with CCS and NAC systems is is allowed. Um, so there there are, you know, there are vehicle to load st- communication things in there. There's, you know, some fifteen eleven eight stuff in there. There's other communication protocols. Um, we're not in a position to be picking favorites at this point um, because I don't think anything has established itself as a recommended practice that kind of like it kind of works. Everyone kind of knows that things need to be in our interoperable and they want that kind of experience. Uh, There have been there. There are a couple of minor differences in 3400 that should make um it a little more reliable, um, especially for smart AC charging, like any kind of smart communication around AC charging. There's some additional things that are allowed in 3400 that are different than sort of the way we've been doing them, and that's to make them more reliable. Um, but on communication, on the communication side, Basically, anything that's like published and out there, pre-existing is allowed. Okay, like your fifteen eleven eight stuff, and there there's other you know SEP twos in there. There the Lin CP. There are other communication standards that are. I know a lot of OEMs are doing vehicle tech stuff, and I can that can you know like I got six companies doing three different things. Yeah, so that I can think of. So there's not there's not one thing that they're all doing on that front. Okay. So I think a lot of people would like to say, oh, if you just call out 1511.8, everything's done to finish. No, it's just, no not that simple. They, they don't, AC plug and charge doesn't even really see deployment usage in Europe. So, and there the government just has flat out mandated it for years. Mm. So that's not, it, it's not from a want of, it's not from a want of, of trying that we're not, you know, seeing progress there. It's because the communication, just calling out a standard doesn't, it's not like magic sprinkle dust. You can put on top of things and have it work. Um, like new standards, like 1511.8-20 that were published. A lot of people talk about dash 20 doesn't even have the interoperability test published for it yet. Dash 21. So there's like a lot of things we haven't even, they had the first testable, involving it in november how could we be putting it as requirements and documents right right they haven't even begun so as your charin industry cheerleader typical nonsense people will you know talk up all that stuff but at the end of the day it's um, um people are just trying to achieve basic functions that are reliable rather than going for like you know pie for the sky stuff all right. Well, I really appreciate all the, the time you've given me. This has been a great explainer on all this. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, 
and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.